You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without your essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting in to go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on then having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. If you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the Black Buffalo herd, head over to BlackBuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Presented by First Light, creating proven, versatile hunting apparel from merino base layers to technical outerwear for every hunt. First Light, go farther, stay longer. You listeners, I'll have to bear with us for a minute. Uh, uh, Cal, see, I want to tell a story about one of my college teachers, but it has to do with your story you just told. Cal just shared a story that involved a man unloading a tractor tire. Is that fair? Yeah, very fair. When I was in college, I took black and white photography one and black and white photography two. When I took black and white photography two, the teacher had real world photography experience because he had a job at one point in time documenting insurance fraud. His greatest work accomplishment was he was working a guy who was out on a permanent uh, disability with a back injury. And so he stakes out, right? And it turns out that the man was a monster truck enthusiast. And my teacher got images of him loading and unloading an entire round of monster truck tires out of the back of his truck. That is not good for your back. And he would approach the tailgate and he would grab... He would bear hug the monster truck, lock his fingers through the rim, and then lean back <laughs> <laughs> and haul the tires around. And that was that was his uh that was his greatest moment as an insurance fraud photographer. Oh. Uh, Phil, what do you think of that story, Yanni? He got him. 
Uh, Phil, can you pl- can you play a breaking news sound? Okay, as we're sitting down here, picture this. I'm in this. I'm here in the studio, and we're doing a little pre-show banter. And I get a text message from my friend Guy Zuck. Thirty-nine minutes fresh. This is five minutes ago. So what's that add up to? Forty-four. Forty-four minutes fresh. Okay, a massive squirrel bust. Thanks to a concerned citizen, Missouri Department of Conservation agent MDC. Missouri Department of Conservation Conservation Agents, Brad Hadley and Eric Long, were able to make contact with a large group of non-resident squirrel hunters in and around Current River Conservation Area. 16 non-resident squirrel hunters. The group of 16 had been hunting for two days and harvested 471 squirrels. Look at that, Corinne. 151 over the over the possession limit. We did the math. It's uh, 15 squirrels per day. But the bag limit's 10 a day. How, how is 10 a day yeah. not enough for you? There were five over each. That I, I, is a generous uh, squirrel limit. Very. I don't know what to say. The the picture is what state was this in? Missouri. Missouri. Huh. The the picture. You'd think you were looking at, I initially thought I was looking at someone who was dying in wax and traps. On closer inspection, just because of who it came from, on closer inspection, I would think I'm looking at a bunch of like mink, but the squirrels are all soaking wet. No, but they look like, they're see. like, they don't have their hair on them. Like they've been. I disagree. No? Those, the tails are like pointy. One second there, Yanni. I'm going to hand it to you. I have my own super phone, too. It looks like that kind of, like, hairless, like, cat or dog. There's, like, no hair. No, they're just sopping wet for some reason. Really? They might do that Clay Newcomb, you know, the Clay Newcomb deal where you dunk them in a bucket and then skin them? I didn't know. Keeps hair down. Okay. Keeps hair from getting... Well, as I proved, it's just as clean to skin them than dunk them. Mm -hmm. But he dunks them. Then and then, and then that's what he's dealing with is something as unsightly as that. But their tails aren't poofy. Their tails are like like rat tails. Because they're soaking wet. So oh, they okay. grabbed them by okay. the whiskers and dunked them from the head in. Right. Uh, right. <laughs> when you Pop get out of the, the shower tail. in the morning, Corinne, and you look at yourself. And you're like, <laughs> so there are 151 squirrels over the allowed possession limit. All were cited for possession of over limit of squirrels and warnings were issued for failure to keep wildlife separate and identifiable. Meaning that's my pile, that's your pile, that's your pile. Mm-hmm. Again, laid out like a drug bust. Whew. Yeah, oh yeah, laid out like a drug bust. Non-resident squirrel slaughter in Missouri. Joined today by Jordan Bud. Jordan, what do you think about <laughs> What's all up, that? man? <laughs> you know, don't know much about squirrels. We're squirrel hunting. Haven't done it. Seriously? Seriously, haven't. Yeah, but you're born in Nebraska. I know. You guys got tree squirrels, don't you? Yeah, for sure. When you were a little kid, you just didn't go hunting stuff? Yeah, but uh, rabbits. Oh, okay. Yeah, did the rabbit thing. And um, coyotes and then big game. Never got a squirrel. Never got a squirrel. Are you even like squirrel curious? No. Do you got a lot of them on your place? Now I kind of am. Uh, Yeah, there's a lot of them out there. 
What kind I'm of looking at Yanni. I'm just looking know? at Yanni. I turn oh. my attention to Yanni just to read his facial expression. Oh, yeah, because we might have to go and do a little hunt with Jordan at mm-hmm. her place if there's some virgin squirrel hunting to be had. There definitely is. Do you know if they're grays or fox squirrels? Couldn't tell you. Are they rusty colored? They're rusty colored. Have you ever like got a small a... house cat? <laughs> yeah, they're pretty big. Jordan, have I you think... ever got an awesome invitation like that? Somebody doing you the favor of taking you out to your own place? <laughs> <laughs> To hunt your own squirrels. So it's, your, it's your lucky day. It is. I will come out and hunt your place. Oh, uh, we can show you like five different ways to skin them and clean them. See, Including the, very, we'll, show, we'll teach yeah. you the clay nuke them, dunk them first method. Yeah. The pants and the shirt and pants method. Oh, that's a great The method. tail method. All the methods. Yeah. Yeah. Depends, on, these, depends on how many squirrels you got over there. Yeah. Cal, uh, Callahan's here. Yes, sir. Um, Phil, he was late. <laughs> Corinne, fresh off her first antelope hunt. Did you know that it was mildly controversial when I requested that that chair be put in there? I never get over there. What, what? But I see people enjoy themselves over there. <laughs> what was controversial oh, about it? Oh, just like one of those things like of, uh, you know, the opportunity cost of me going and picking that chair up or whatever. I don't know. It's a li- listen, man, I had to ask for that chair 15 times. This guy's high on his own supply after <laughs> after his uh, fucked up deer stand calendar was a huge success, and now he's just I, tearing just, everyone I down. I'm just revisiting every time I've been wrong. Yeah. Oh, man, yeah. <laughs> You'd almost think it was that the calendar didn't do well, and I was going back to try to find other examples of being right. But this just inspired me to point out other exactly. times in my life when I've been correct. Never like about that again. lazy boy. Yep. Uh Oh my gosh, Yanni, a giant sheep head is here. No, there's, yes! one, there's one more mm-hmm. being in the room. Oh. Oh. Oh, well, a snort. Oh, yeah. And Cal's dog, fresh off, almost dying. We're going to cover that, that. Is that true or is he making it up? Man, I've been around a lot of dead and dying animals and that <laughs> yeah. dog. That do- I was like, <laughs> no okay, shit. here we are. I was like, oh, well, I guess it was a short run, but it was a good run type of thing. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get to that. We'll get to how that dog almost died. Um, but Yanni, big, big horn, sheep skull. Yeah. Double B for Yanni P. The B stands for broomed. Yep. Double broomed. <laughs> but I think they're kind of, <laughs> but they're kind of, but, but big horns are always, explain what broomed is, but I mean, big horns kind of run broomed. I don't know if that's true. That's true. Really? Yeah. Oh. I think I some s- of the I biggest saw, ones still have their lamb tips. You I know, saw the ones a lot that, of. Really? Unbroomed rams. No, they get to a certain they get to a certain size and they're just broomed. Huh. Okay. I didn't know. Huh. Um I I like the fact that what I've been staring at the most is this kind of chunk of gelatin uh collagen yumminess that's still stuck to the <laughs> nose of this thing. Uh-huh. And I keep thinking about just <laughs> Oh, sucking that, that thing here. off of there. <laughs> if, if we were roasting this head right now. Yeah. See it right here? It's freshly killed, so it's it hasn't been trimmed up. I just I got the eyeballs out. That's about as far as I made it. It's nine years old. Nine years old. Same Which thing. uh in in your unit, your circumstance, where's that put this ram? Like if the biologist buddy said uh where this lies in the in the pack as far as population goes. There there was one other ram that I saw that I hunted 
that was probably 11 or 12 years old. Wow. And then there was probably four or five that were in this guy's range hmm. and then younger rams. So not that many for how much country there was to look at. You put some miles on? Whew. Did we? Yeah. I don't know if there was like a, I can't say like, oh, it was like a minimum of 10 miles a day. But one day I did 23. Seriously. Oh. But that was because I had to go out to the trailhead and pick up Charlie Williams, the photographer, restock food, grab my rifle, and then come back in. Got you. Yeah. And that might have been the mistake I made, which might have cost me the ram I called Mr. It, Big Nuts. The chocolate ram. Oh, the chocolate ram, not Mr. Big Nuts? No. They all have big nuts. No, I know. They really do. Oh, kettlebell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a pineapple hanging down there. Ah. Uh, yeah, so there, the approaches were long to get into the sheep country. Uh, there's a lot of private property in the area, and to just to get into where they are in this range, you got to circumnavigate some private, which makes the approaches long. When you were bouncing from like one peak to the next peak, mm-hmm. did you oftentimes have to go down and cross drainages, or was it just like a long ridge line that you're hunting on? Definitely wasn't ridge line running like we've done in Alaska. Um, Isolated chunks of habitat. No. The ridge lines are long, but they're unnavigable without like maybe like like a very skilled mountain climber. Like Garrett Smith could probably make it along there if he had his equipment with him. But like you just can't walk up on the ridge and then just walk down the ridge. Because it's just interrupted by spires and stuff. So yeah, you're just a, steep, loose, rock. Your efficient line was like a zipper, like a big zigzag. Like going out to points to look back versus... We are basically just going up into drainages looking up, <clears throat> maybe climbing up one side to look across, and then coming back out the drainage, looping around a ridge, going up the next drainage and repeating. Hmm. repeating oh, that makes that. miles. Were they mostly in the alpine or were they in the timber? They were definitely, um, some, one of the advice that was given about that unit was to definitely keep your eyes like on the timber line and in the timber as much as you can. I mean, there's a certain point where you're like, you don't think they're going to be down where the elk are where there's aspen meadows and stuff, you know? So I think when people said, look in the timber, they were talking like, okay, the top half of the ridge is rocky. The bottom, if you split the bottom half, half of it's like open timber, and then it goes full timber. Like, look in that open timber. Hmm. You, know, you might see them. And, uh, you know, because the vegetation changes so much just in there in a 1,000 feet, right? Like in that lower timber where I found the rams before the season started, I mean, when you look at the pictures, it's like they're feeding in this like lush jungle, very green, you know, a lot of, you know, on them shoulder to head high vegetation, but then they climb a thousand feet and there's nothing over two or three inches tall, you Got know, it. just rocks. So how, how many days did you hunt? Well, I, I know that you found one before. Yeah. I found a group of rams before Then scouting. you gave me the slip on the oh, oh, opening oh. day. Yeah. Well, a couple of days before opening. Oh, was day. it? Okay. Yeah. When I saw him, I knew it was too good to be true. I'm sitting there looking at a ram that you could, I mean, he was in the easiest spots of easiest spots that I saw all, the whole week. And it's three days before season. And I'm just like, there's no way. There's no way that ram's going to be standing in that little, I call them pastures. You know, an elk I, I feel like feeds in a meadow, and so does a deer. But when I was looking at these big green avalanche shoots, I was like, "Couldn't call it a meadow." I felt like it was more like a pasture because that's where like a sheep and a goat feeds, right? They I sheep like it. feed in a pasture. Yeah. 
I was just like, there's no way he's going to be sitting You didn't want to call it a little grassy bowl. Mm, they weren't bowls. When you're, you were doing like the mental gymnastics, did you try to like reason as to why that group disappeared? Where you're like, maybe they got my smell. Maybe they saw it. Maybe they were more nervous That's than I That's the thought. first thing your buddy Steve said when I said I, could, I hadn't seen him in a few days. Did you spook him? <laughs> well, as much as I can, uh, it was a text message. Yeah. So I, I think that you need to do a very neutral <laughs> reading. Oh. Uh, did you spook him? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's better, but no, I meant it like the way you said it first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's the, that's the inflection I felt when I read the <laughs> yeah read the text. Um, Are you fucking this up? Would be yeah. the, the translation yeah, exactly. in your head. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When Siri reads your text messages, that's what that's what I think. What he's trying to say is, yeah. <laughs> Did you get too anxious and decide to just you know go pretend shoot him and then ran him off the country? Well, Man, what I, I was getting at in my text. I wasn't getting at you. I was getting at like, is it probable that you'll find it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Meaning, if you spooked the hell out of it, then you right. might have been like, ah, that's never gonna work. You yeah. know. I feel like these sheep don't get a lot of human pressure. They don't get hunted that much, right? You have a couple of tags a year. This year there was uh, three tags in the unit. Um, we I think we often as hunters like to you know put on these animals that like oh they're so elusive it's the most evasive species out of all of them where I think a lot of times especially like these bighorn sheep they're not trying to hide from us they're just being sheep they're doing their thing mm-hmm. they live up in the rocks where they are hard to find probably not just for me but probably for mountain lions and you know whatever other predators are out there too that's like their safety right. Um, so they just walked to the thing was he was hanging out with a, another fairly mature ram and then a, a, a five young rams. So I kept thinking like, man, if they stay together, one of those is going to pop out. Like it should be pretty easy to find seven rams somewhere. And they just went to a place that I don't think I looked. It was I, I would I mean I can show you some pictures right now, but this country definitely like. When we were at the bottom in the drainages, sometimes you were looking over 3,000 feet to the top, you mm-hmm. know? And there's just so many boulders and little ledges and, like, almost like these canyons on the hillside that, like, are it's like a spire, like a little ridge that just forms in the rocks. And there might be a little grassy bench back there. And if they're in there feeding for a day, you sat there for 12 hours and glassed the hell out of it, and they never popped out. Yep. You just don't know. That being said, I feel like, especially, you know, Charlie Williams was there uh, taking pictures and he would grab the binos when he was done taking pictures. And at some point you got to trust your glassing and just be like, you know what? We pounded this thing for a morning, an evening, another morning, and all the time in between, we're going to have to move on and go look somewhere else. Maybe we'll come back. Like my plan was to basically just do a circuit because I knew roughly the ridge and maybe a half of another ridge where they should be. Mm-hmm. And after I cleared them out, I was just going to restock, go right back in the whatever, 15 miles, and restart the process, you know, and just loop around. I like that idea. It's good good, good for the mental game, too. It's like, it's, it's a good plan. Yeah. yeah. If you let enough time go by where you can muster up some level of excitement. Yeah. You know. You mean between looking at the, the same Between hills, visits. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. it does. It never fails. As soon as you move to the other side of the ridge, you're like, and you don't see them there. You're like, ah, 
They're back there. We should go back. <laughs> we know. I know they're there. They're out right now, but we're not there. And they're if, on the hill. If you'd never like hiked the country too, you'd be so much more confident in your glassing, right? Because through yes. the glass, it flattens out so much, oh, right? Yeah. And it's like those. Uh, been using those eight, those eighteen by. 56s, the big mm-hmm. vortex ones. I love those things. And I just like glue into them and your eyes are relaxed. And man, you just get this feeling like, oh, I covered it. Mm-hmm. But then like you walk something and you're like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Yanni say when he was glassing, um, he imagined a laser sound. Zoom. <laughs> Zoom. <laughs> that was the noise his binos were making when uh. he was glassing. So how many, so then what happened? You lost track of everybody. And then yeah, you well, just entered, that, when you just I found, the When I found ages. that group of seven, there was actually a group of five that were only like 400 yards away. And this was the interesting thing. And they were, there, has some, there was some collard rams in the group. Hmm. So this whole unit has less than 100 sheep in it. And so when you start doing the math, there's probably roughly 20 to 25 rams in there. Out of there, there might be, in Colorado, they have to be half curled to be legal. And so there's probably a dozen to 15 legal rams out of those, you know, six, seven that are like this guy, like seven eights or for full curl ish. And, um, you know, in that eight to nine, maybe older, um, range. So you're not looking for a lot. So yeah, before season, I'm looking at 12 rams. I mean, looking at, you're looking at half the rams in the whole unit, which is pretty cool. But I was asked, I know people that are, um, work for Colorado Parks and Wildlife and doing my research for the hunt. I, you know, talked to the regional wildlife biologists and the, um, the uh, local game warden and everybody's like, have a great hunt. And if you can, please don't shoot one of the collared ones. <laughs> like we got a lot of time and money invested in it. Yeah. They're five-year collars and they just started this study. We're going to get a lot of data points off of them. And so, of course, this five-pack uh, has two collars in it. We started calling them the chain gang because <laughs> their other buddy with them has a scar on his chest. So you, you know what we nicknamed him? No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> scar chest? Just, just scar. Oh, okay. Keep it, keep it short and easy. <laughs> but I swear they were following me. I mean, we would leave one drainage and hike for a day. Like we'd go and look at one, another side of the hill and then hike all the way around, be looking. I mean, and again, to them, it's just a hop, skip and a jump to move a mile or two and go over the ridge. But like we'd be in a totally new zone and we'd be like, oh, sheep, get all excited. And you're like, oh, it's the gang five again. <laughs> <clears throat> you know, and, uh, so I, I would have, cause it's legal to shoot a collared ram. Yeah. And, yeah, and, yeah. and there, there was a nice one. But, you know, we've talked about it. I was like, man, these things are tainted. You know, man has already touched these and shot these once. Yep. Or so, trapped them. Yeah, they're touched. They're tainted. The, we've had this conversation many times, right? Yeah, I'm going to bring up the uh, um, an important or, or important part. Unsolicited. So I, I was down in, in uh, Owyhee County helping my buddy Jim with his very, you know, once-in-a-lifetime California bighorn sheep tag and glass this group of... Nine rams. This is in Idaho. In Idaho, yep. South, extreme southwest Idaho. And one of which, and definitely like the oldest ram in the in the group, um, both by just like body configuration and, and horn size, is collared. Hmm. And uh, um, for, you know, the second trip ever, I'm packing around that uh, somewhere device. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there like, uh, and and my buddy Jim's like, boy, that collared ram, that collared ram, you know, like he's definitely like, it's got his, his interest, right? He's starting to talk himself into it. Right. And so I, unbeknownst to him, I, I like send a text message out to Idaho Fish and Game, friend of mine. Um, and I just said, hey, is it a dick move to kill this? <laughs> this is where we are. And this is, and we're looking at a collared ram. Uh, and, uh, you know, a couple hours go by and I get a response that says, not a dick move, kill it. Oh. <laughs> huh. Yeah. So just just a different program going on over there. But I don't know if you remember when we were kind of covering the, the do's and don'ts of collared animals. Uh, Florida was doing, the state of Florida was doing a mortality study. And they were doing a white-tailed deer mortality study. And... They had a thing saying, like, if you're hunting and see a collared deer, don't shoot it because it's collared, but don't not shoot it because it's collared. <laughs> Try to, like, ignore the collar and make the decision you'd make in the absence of the collar and then do what you would otherwise do because they're trying to determine, like, what kills deer. Just consider if, it a deer. If everyone just really badly wants a collar, you're going to be like, my goodness. These deer just get whittled away. And if no one will touch it, you know, you don't get an accurate representation of how deer die. So as we sat there, this buddy of mine, Jim, he's 67 years old, doesn't pay attention to a single thing we do. So he has not heard this conversation before. (laughs) But unsolicited, he's like, after he gets excited about this ram and wants to like, it's 96 degrees, Mm. wants to go across this god-awful canyon up the other side and go like chase this group into the side canyon, which part of your brain is like, oh, they just went in there and they're just going to be there. Waiting. Right. Waiting for us. <laughs> Where the other side of your brain's like, those things are gone. They're like, this is the end of the line, boys. Yeah. We're yep. going to this canyon. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's as far as we go. Um, and so unsolicited, Jim's like, what do you, what do you think about killing something with a collar on it? He's like, so like somebody already got to it first. Oh, mm. <laughs> and it was like that argument of like, my it's tainted. Like you should have said, well, Jim, people sure do like shooting them banded ducks. Yeah, like you could, we could make a necklace out of that, or uh, a co- get a copy of that uh, collar for you. You can wear it around your neck. The, uh, well, I was thinking because the, these sheep also had double ear tags. Oh, so, so then yeah, I was going to take those worse. ear tags and, and run a necklace take like a duck hunter. I like it. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Um, I'll tell you a story. Uh, Ronnie Bame got a banded goose, and when he turned it in, it was <laughs> it was banded where he got it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's not nearly exciting. Like, it had been like just banded where he got it. <laughs> Jordan, has your uh, your sheep hunting experience just been in Mexico? Um, Mexico, I filmed a stone sheep quite a while back, and then a lot of Wyoming bighorns. Yeah. Yep. Do you guide Filming Wyoming bighorns? Wise. No, I you just, just film. You film the hunts. Yeah, I film. And then I shot that doll sheep in August, and that's been my sheep hunting experience. Yeah, so you're pretty much the most prolific sheep hunter in the room. I would not say (laughs) that. (laughs) Did you see pictures of Jordan's uh, doll, Ram? The quietest and most prolific sheep hunter in the room. (laughs) What does that tell you? 
Um, all right, so yeah, get tell, tell us what happened now. Um, so yeah, we looked and looked and looked and kept running into that, you know, the five pack and decided to. There's a couple of different ways we could have run it. Was just, one was just we were decide we we're gonna push either push up way up into this drainage into country we hadn't been into yet and start looking and it was quite pretty amazing, man. Like these mountains, I had hunted in them quite a bit um, when I lived in Colorado, but just I hadn't been in these parts. And there was definitely parts where you're like you felt like you were in Alaska, just like big sub ridges that were just crumbling, you know, hanging little glaciers all over the place. Oh, huh. And like I said, country that was, you can't just walk over, you know, you're like, well, if we want to get back there, you have to go all the way down and come up the drainage and, you know, really like root finding, you know? Anyways, instead of doing that, we decided to back out and then climb the next ridge over and then just glass back. And it was a huge glass. It was like two miles. You're looking from point to point, which is, you know, you're looking for an animal that looks like the rocks that it's sitting in. It's a long ways away, you know. So you, we started, we did a lot of just one eyeballing through the spot and scope. Anywho, we climb up there, we glass 12 hours, whatever it is, daylight to almost dark, to the point where I'm like, I'm done. We didn't see anything. Charlie, let's go make camp. So we're walking across this, we were kind of on a shoulder. We're walking across a bowl towards a bench where I think we could find a flat spot. And I just happened to look up and like 800 yards away on the horizon, like very dusky light, I see something out of place, glass. I'm like, holy shit, it's a ram. And then right as I'm looking at him, another ram like pops up behind him. And then they quickly, before we can get a spot and scope or anything out on him, they kind of drop towards us and go left and disappear. So we watched the hillside till dark to make sure Nothing. Pretty much made camp right there in the morning. Um, watched the hillside for maybe the first 30 minutes. I wanted to let the the light come up because we, we had the advantage where the light was going to, the sun was going to come up at our backs. And I figured if we we're going to walk towards them, it'd be good. You know, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe we'll get at a slight advantage if they got the sun in their eyes. Hike up, pretty much leave the trees, hike up from, I don't know. We must have been camping above 11 because I ended up shooting him at like 12.5. Wow. So we hike up 1,000 feet to where we last saw him and see that there's they had kind of – and looking at the you know Onyx map on the phone, I could see that they had kind of fed into these draws, what looked like maybe little avi shoots, and I figured there was grass in there, you know. And I figured that oh, we had seen other sheep kind of doing the same thing, like feeding down into these avi shoots in the morning, feeding back up and then find a place amongst the rocks to spend the day. So we get to the first one and kind of wrap around the hill through pretty big talus, you know, some stuff that's as big as a car, the smaller stuff. If you get one of those little runs, you know, it might get a little smaller, like baseball, you know, size. And kind of creep around, and I can see, like, the first avi shoot kind of opening up in front of me. And I'm looking for the grass and, you know, there's a roll of hill in front of me. And I'm always preaching this, like, you know, take your time because they could just be just over that hill. So one step at a time, scan the whole thing, take another step. But I keep ranging the far side of the chute and I'm getting to where the far side of the chute's like 100 yards, 80 yards, 70 yards. I'm like, this is going to suck because if they're in here, I'm going to step on them. And then we're going to have a covey of sheep blowing out of here and I'm going to be forced to make a decision, you know, which I didn't want to make one like that. Well, luckily, they're not in that one. And 
But the country kind of opens up down below us. It's almost like two shoots kind of met and kind of bowled out a little bit. And I figured if we went down just a little ways, like 50, 100 yards, we would be able to kind of look into this other shoot from, from down and kind of look back up into it. And that move is all it took. We got down there and I looked across and uh, this ram was actually, in quotes, you know, looking at me. He might have been like facing my direction when I first saw him. And uh, then he had four other rams with him, figured they were new rams. Well, part of my mind saying they're new rams. Then the other part of my mind that really wanted to kill big, the big chocolate ram is like, that's him. He mm. looks chocolate. He's by himself. He's got fairly good drop. It looks like it's going, like I'm running all these things through my mind. But what really like just like completely flipped my brain was that I looked at the four pack next to him and I saw a ram with a chip out of its horn. Did I tell you this? That no. The, okay. So the chocolate ram was running with another mature ram that had a giant chunk missing out of his huh. out of, Yeah. Yeah. Like just very identifiable. So we named him Chocolate and Chip. That's cute. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought. <laughs> we had all kinds of names. We also started calling the big one Willy Wonka, and we were going to go find him at the chocolate factory. And I happened to be running with a photographer named Charlie, so it was just really all... Yeah, everything, <laughs> everything lined up. Fit, yeah. Yeah, you know? Anywho, uh, at that point, my mind's like, dude, that's it. That he's the, That's the chocolate ram. You need to kill him. And I kind of just went into, like, auto mode and... It was, uh, I wish we could have filmed that uh, because the next like two minutes that it took, once I was like, okay, I'm going to kill him, it was quite comical. So I go to Jack Around in and I have my mag just packed full. And sometimes I feel like when it's packed full, it just, they don't want to feed quite right. And I'm, I think I jacked it too slow instead of just like, you know, really running the action. And so I get the one halfway in, but then the one underneath it was trying to like climb in there with it and I'm like, ah, and so I just dropped the mag, you know, and just get all the bullets out of there. So then I pitched like whatever that holds four bullets, I think off to my right, you know, in the rocks. Hmm. And man, I'm on this rock. That's like, it's a big rock. It's like, I don't know, half our table here. You know, it's like two by four feet, but it's kind of sloped to pitch against the hill and I'm trying to get my bipod on it, and I actually had to come back on it so that the bipod could drop lower, you yep. know, but my gun could still clear the top edge of the rock. My feet are way above my head, the position I'm trying to get myself into. So I'm trying to like half like use my backpack to like support my ribs, but have it so that it's supporting my rear of my gun too. And all week we've been brushing, busting so much brush that every couple of days I was like clearing out my chamber and my barrel because I just felt like pine needles and stuff were dropping in there. So when I put a bullet back in, I now go to close it, I feel it gets kind of sticky. And I'm like, oh, it's not going to close all the way, you know? So I pull the bolt back real quick. I try just to like, you know, fingernail that cartridge and it's like stuck. I'm like, son of a bitch, you know? (laughs) So I got the bench made out. I'm trying to like, you know, wiggle it. I'm just turning the gun, you know, right side up, drop the bolt out. I'm banging on the recoil pad trying to get this thing to come out because I don't want to fire it thinking that there's... freaking out. Oh man, it's like autopilot and then just like full on flustered. And, uh... Charlie's like up the hill a little ways, so you know. I think he was excited too about it. He just melted into the rocks and didn't want to either help or make the situation worse. <laughs> yeah. But it would have been really nice to have someone there to be like, 
dude, just chill out for a second. Take a deep <laughs> breath. <laughs> so the thing finally falls out, you know, and, and I sit there and take the bolt out, flip the gun backwards, put a big puff of air through it, like blow whatever was in there out of there, put my gun back together. <laughs> and every, you know, 10 seconds, I'm glassing just to make sure that the herd's not running off. And uh, get all set up, just decide to put one bullet in there. That's all it huh. takes, right? And I'm like, okay, just take a deep breath. And when he gives you like a good broadside shot, blah, 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 you know, it's like, of course, he just like immediately gives me a broadside shot. There was no like <laughs> breathe into it. It was just like, there's a broadside shot. <laughs> but I did range and I did dial, which was really sweet. It was 320 yards. Uh-huh. I think I had to dial either, I think it was four MOA. It was really nice just to hold dead on. Um, but it was funny that I only had one bullet in because he kind of spins. I get on him pretty quickly again, like in seconds. And he's now he's facing me. And I'm not seeing blood. I can't see him wobbling. And I'm like, you better shoot him again. So I click. Because I had cycled, you know, yeah. but there wasn't another <laughs> bullet in there. And right when I clicked, clicked it, he started tumbling down the hill. Huh. Yeah. And then it was a uh, solid 30 minutes and very emotional phone calls and uh, <laughs> celebration, you know, calling the wife. But did you have like a little tension my... though? Like, cause he tumbles away from you, right? Yeah. Kind of. Where uh, you were like, did I make the right decision? Parallel. Or you were already like. No, I w- you mean, did I make the right decision on shooting him? Right. Cause now like your once in a lifetime hunts over. Oh right? yeah. yeah. No, for sure. No, I was 14 days into it, and so... (laughs) (laughs) Ready to be done. No, you're right. I mean, it's totally bittersweet, man. Like, you're like... Because then you're just, like, looking around, and you're like, I might not stand on this mountain ever again in my life. Yeah, sure. You know, what's going to take me to 12,500 feet again, you know, in these beautiful Colorado mountains? And uh, it's bittersweet, man, no doubt about it. In general, I want to touch on this. You probably felt it this summer, you know, going on your first doll sheep on, I assume, Mm. was your first Mm -hmm. one. Yep. But just like the pressure from the moment we were all sitting in the airport together when I got the phone call from Hunt and Fool. And they're like, you got a sheep tag. And like from that moment, that pressure mounts. And it's, you know, I thought, oh, it'll kind of go away once I'm in the field and I'm, I'm, I'm in the hunt. But it doesn't. It might change. But it's still there. And so in a way, like killing him, all of a sudden the pressure's gone, right? You're no, you're no longer a guy with a sheep tag. You're just another hunter that now mm-hmm. has an elk tag and a bear tag in their pocket. <laughs> it's kind of it's nice. But you, know? you, you do become a guy with a sheep. You do become a guy with a sheep. <laughs> yeah. Instead of a tag, you have the tag. Right. And there's a difference, right? No, and, the, and so much advice, good advice that comes through, but pressure about finding the right one. And if you're going to even find one or be yeah. successful, you know? And sure, I'm lucky to have a job that's like, yeah, the season's a month long. Don't take the whole month, but if you really yeah. need to, you <laughs> probably could. This is a month long. Feels long. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You know, my, feels lengthy. My my gal's <laughs> awesome, and she's you know ha- happy to see me go on big adventures like this. But uh, you know, it's a that's a long time to take. So, I, you know, looking back on it, I'd say that it all happened just right. You know, that's two, cool. Two weeks of spending and. Man, unreal weather. Like 70 degree highs, 40 degree nights. Oh. We were packing a tarp and didn't even set it up half the time. We would just sleep under the stars, you know? 
And that's, I kept telling Charlie, who for him, it was his first time ever in any kind of Alpine country. So he's just blown away by the whole thing, you know? And I'm like, yeah, usually when you're up here at 11,000 plus, it's like when you see the clouds starting to form and build at 11 a.m., you're like, okay, we have two hours and then we need to be descending. And, you know, because anybody that spent a, an, an afternoon in a thunder shower at 11,000 feet plus, Nobody wants to do that again. Yeah, you're looking like down at the lightning. Oh, it sucks. <laughs> yeah. And when the thunder booms, it's like it consumes you, you know? <clears throat> but we had zero. I mean, we had like literally 10 raindrops, hmm. a few clouds here and there. Um, yeah, when I when I reset for the final push in there, which only actually ended up being a couple nights, but I only went in with a base layer and my uncompagre puffy. That was it for top layers. No rain jacket. No mid layer. The only thing I've been using my mid layer for is to build my little pillow, like I like mm-hmm. to do. <laughs> and I'm like, I can survive without that, you know. No gloves, no beanies. Just using the really? hood on the jacket, yeah. you know. Nice. Um, super nice. That's America for you. <laughs> is it? Yeah. You think they're doing that in Tehran? <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah, forty pound pack. You know, when we were, and that was with food in mm-hmm. the end, with five days of food. That's great. Um, it's beautiful. Yeah, it was quite the experience. I'm on a high. I'm on like a, a sheep conservation high. <laughs> Coincidentally, <laughs> which would be lead, lead me to believe it won't last. <laughs> yeah. Well, no. I did a thing called the Landmark Forum, which I think I've mentioned to you when I was a kid. Oh, you did Landmark? Yeah. Oh, you did. know about Landmark? I did Landmark. Yeah. Yeah. Was it good for you? Uh, Interesting. We'll have to discuss that. (laughs) It's a, uh, it's a, you know, Tony Robbins. Oh, it's like a, it's a, you know, I know Tom Robbins. Self, you don't know Tony Robbins, like the motivational speaker. Yeah, yeah, I'm aware of it. Um, so it's kind of like that kind of thing. There's a, there's a choreographer or something named that too. Hmm. Might be. I didn't know about him till Zero Dark when Zero Dark Thirty came out. They're riding a helicopter. And someone asked someone what he's listening to. He says, Tony Robbins. I thought he's listening to like a choreographer. Mm-hmm. Then I looked it up and realized that it's a motivational dude. Yes. So when you go do like a landmark forum thing, at least is how it was for me, you go there for like a weekend and you leave there and you're like going to conquer the world, you know, and you're with a group of people that are all like very positive yeah. thinking at that point. But as you go back to the regular world and the regular, you know, downers of the world, it kind of, it slowly fades away. <clears throat> so that's where I feel like I'm at with the sheep hunt. But um, coincidentally, the the a town nearby where I was at is doing a big media project around uh, the sheep that live in and amongst them, mm-hmm. you know, propagating them, keeping them around for the future. They've, they see challenges like a lot of, you know, Western towns, lack of winter range, too much development, et cetera. So, they contacted me to get a interview for sort of like the hunter's perspective. Oh, which was great. And I was, you know, ha- happy to help out. That leads into we packed out the whole cape on this animal. Hmm. And I sense a great segue coming. Good. From me <laughs> or from you? No, I feel like you're building one up right oh, now. Oh, oh, oh. My original plan. You get, you picking up on it, Jordan? I don't think so. <laughs> He's laying groundwork for a big segue. It ain't about Jeez. rattlesnakes. I hope I'm not going to let you guys down. <laughs> it ain't about rattlers. Uh, my original plan 
with the, we packed out the whole hide and Charlie and I are now experts in, uh, in full sheep, uh, capes, but, uh, I'm just going to Euro the head because I've said this before and it just happened when Tracy, uh, our colleague was in here. People look at that thing and they're like, wow, that's cool. You know, I'm like, yeah, pick it up. And when every it's, it hasn't failed yet. When someone picks that thing up, they are in utter awe. Yeah. And then they feel the denseness and they, the weight of it all. So anyways, I just want to have a Euro mount. Yeah, so you can but, pass it, but you want to be able to pass it around. Yeah. yeah. Through the little bit of sheep hunting that I've done, I've, I've come to know that sheep hides are highly valuable. And once they're tanned, you're allowed to sell them. I'm guessing that people buy them because theirs got messed up because their yeah. sheep tumbled a thousand feet off a mountain or whatever. Someone cut a bunch of holes in it as they were trying to make the hide. Maybe the hair slipped because, you know, who knows, whatever. But they're like, you can get thousands of dollars sometimes. Yeah, with very this. little effort, I sold a doll cape for a thousand bucks or 1200 something like that. We sold a bighorn cape. We only called one person and sold the bighorn cape for 600 bucks, And that was like one phone call mm-hmm. and no actually looking for a purchaser. Yeah. So I was thinking at first, well, let's just tan it and then some, and we'll put it on the old meat eater. Uh, auction house of oddities auction house of oddities and uh, talking to Garrett Long and talking to uh, the taxidermist they're like you know we might be able to raise a little bit more money we just turn it into a full sheet mount and do a replica of and is this, your, of this is the taxidermist I feel like it yeah 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 same, same one so he's very happy with uh, us mentioning him in the last podcast John Hayes taxidermist John studio. Hayes taxidermy. yeah, yeah. and uh, anyway so we don't know exactly what's going to happen yet with that hide and, and all of it, but uh, the plan is to somehow sell it for as much money as we can and then hopefully donate it directly to like a wild sheep, you know, either habitat or yep. reintroduction, whatever it might be, project. Love it. Nice. Uh, they make casts, so they make like replica casts. Yeah. And They're unbelievably at, yeah, good. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing, like the colors and everything. So anyways... Get a replica made of it, get them stuffed with the replica head on there, and sell them. Hey man, after years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if you've learned anything, it's that there is always a catch. So, when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, well, what's the catch? But it turns out, there isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. Ditch overpriced wireless. With Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash meat eater. That's mintmobile.com slash meat eater. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash meat eater. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 per month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Man, I'm just coming back uh, not too long ago from youth turkey season in Wisconsin. Now, last year at youth turkey season, it rained and snowed the whole time. This year at youth turkey season, 
It was in the 70s and then even up to 80. So me and my kids are pouring it to it. And after a while, I realized they didn't drink anything all day and they haven't drank anything all day. Well, that's why it's important to get hydrated and have something you're going to like to help you, encourage you to get hydrated. doesn't matter. Outdoor events, turkey hunting, playing sports, beach days, mountain adventures. Summer requires extraordinary hydration that's built for everyday dehydrating moments. With three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, plus eight vitamins and nutrients in a single stick, it's clear why Liquid IV is the number one powdered hydration brand in America. Tear, pour, live more. One stick plus 16 ounces of water hydrates better than water alone. I'll say that again. Hydrates better than water alone. Turn your ordinary water into extraordinary hydration with Liquid IV. Get 20% off your first order of Liquid IV when you go to liquidiv.com and you use code MEATEATER at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code MEATEATER at liquidiv.com. I want to tell you about an American-made success story and Black Buffalo's award-winning nicotine pouches. Black Buffalo was built by dippers with decades of smokeless tobacco use. Black Buffalo is all about the history and tradition of dip, but they understand the convenience and discretion modern-day consumers are looking for. Black Buffalo's nicotine pouches give you the versatility to consume discreetly, but keep the ritual with flavors dippers love. Mint, straight, and wintergreen, all proudly made right here in the USA. Tell them, Chili. The reason I like black buffalo pouches is, one, they're very discreet. And what I mean by that is I can throw one in and almost forget it's there. And I prefer the mint pouches. So if you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the black buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. Uh, Pointing out the segue thing. I'm going to talk about that real quick. Okay. Uh... Oh, another item in the Meat Eater Auction House of Oddities. That's your segue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was set up perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> um, Meat Eater uh, Season 10 Part 1 is on Netflix now. Starts out with, I think the first episode is uh, Antelope Hunting with Luke Combs. Cool. So we're launching the Auction House of Oddities uh at the same time as the new season comes up right because we've been talking about this auction house of oddities for a long time it's a it's gonna be a rolling thing and here's some of the things that will go into the original so as the auction house of oddities it's live now mm-hmm. the auction house of oddities is yep, live now it is money raised for the auction house of oddities will go into our like access enhancement initiative what's it been called historically Land Access Initiative. The Land Act, not Access Enhancement Initiative. The Land Access Initiative. We can get there both ways, I think. Either way, it'll go into that, and that becomes a pool of funds that then Cal will look at various projects and, and figure out what to do with the pool of funds. Access Initiative things. So we've done the Shiloh Pond thing. Um, done some stuff around, raised some money recently in a different uh, thing around supporting our state's 
um, private management. land, public access program. We're going to raise a whole bunch of money with this thing. If you go on the auction house now, Yanni's uh, thing isn't there yet. The, the sheep's not there. But we have a signed guitar from Luke Combs. And Luke used the guitar in concerts, right? That's correct. So a signed guitar from Luke Combs, country star. The giant Bucky Bowl. So Mike uh, Buck Bowden, who's been on the show, been on this podcast. He was in the Close Calls audiobook. He's been on Meat Eater a couple times. He made us a giant birch burl bowl. Um, that bowl is in the auction house of oddities right now. We have a bottle of skunk essence that me and Seth extracted from skunks with a hypodermic needle. I was going to use it in an act of vengeance. I haven't identified a target. So if Ooh, you've identified I, I, your I, act of vengeance, I have a target yeah. for you. Oh, Yanni has a target. Never mind. It's too late. You'll have to bid. You'll have to bid on it, Yanni. Because right now it's pinned to the outside of my garage. I had it in our guest house, but my wife could smell it in there, so I pinned it to the outside of my garage. We're gonna rebottle it, and you can buy an ounce of pure Montana skunk essence. Um, uh, bought a needle from uh, you know, like a syringe for injecting cattle. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, Jordan. I do. Um, but instead of injecting something, we took something. <laughs> Other way. Suck that skunk smell right out of there. Uh, a meat crafter knife. What'd that dude sell one on eBay for? 1500 bucks oh, or yeah. some crazy thing that. like that? It was 13 what? or 15 or 1600 bucks. Yeah. We did, a, we did a limited run knife with Benchmade called the Meat Crafter. Oh, yeah. And they were, I don't know, people complained about how expensive they were. But some dude just sold one on eBay and it had like 41 bids and went for 15 or 1600 bucks. There was something like... Um, it's crazy. He was excited to get the knife. He had the knife. And then was like... Boy, I just have this nice knife sitting around. Mm-hmm. I should just try to get my money back out of it. Yep. And then he felt so guilty Jeez. with how high a price the, the knife brought. Oh, that's right. He wrote in a letter. <laughs> he like, felt bad. He wanted to donate the money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we talked about it. It got him feeling guilty. And then he wanted to donate a bunch of the money to a conservation group who was looking for guidance on how to spend it. Which I'll tell you, if that's not a good indication of the quality of folks we have, uh, intermingling with us that i mean come on those are awesome people Uh, also in the auction house is the tail of yanni's very first pheasant for your fly tire mm -hmm. or just a person don't think that that's necessarily an old pheasant because i only killed my first pheasant (laughs) two falls ago oh brand spaghetti new yeah and whoever get whoever uh buys that thing you know you can check it out and put it on your wall for a little bit, but you should also tie some flies out of it, I think. Yeah, tie some pheasants. Or you can tie some pheasant press tails. it to the front of your very own cowboy hat. There sure. you go. Yeah. You know, yeah, tie you're some one flies. of those folks. Probably want to tie some flies. <laughs> and there's the season 10 package. So if you if you watch the show, the first five episodes, which are up now, we pulled items from those episodes. Okay? And it's in a package called the season 10 package. In that string of episodes, you'll see me and Yanni and Clay Newcomb Hunting raccoons with uh, the hound dogs, Clay's dogs, and we get a raccoon. And Mingus. That raccoons and Mingus. That raccoon's hide is back from the tannery. That very raccoon is in the season 10 package. The backpack I wear all throughout, the Stone Glacier backpack I wear all throughout the season is in the season 10 package. In the season, I use two FHF bino harnesses, a brown one and a blaze orange one. Both of their those are in the season ten package. 
Clay Newcombs, Rossi 410, Wild West six-shooter 410 gun, I think is what they call it, is in the Season 10 package. You'll see Clay shoot a squirrel off his mule with that gun. Clay's rattling antlers from the Texas deer episode is in the package. I actually broke a tine off. If you're watching the show, you can see the tine fly off into the bushes. Those rattling antlers are in there, and we talk about those rattling antlers. And the antelope skull that I kill on the episode with Luke Combs is in the season 10 package. And you'll know it's guaranteed because it's a weird-ass looking antelope. So when you watch, it's like, that's a weird antelope. And when you get the box, you'll be like, that's the same damn antelope. They didn't like slip some. The coon, I could see you being like, I don't know, man. Maybe they pulled a fast one with the raccoon. But I would look at bullet placement. The antelope skull is dead nuts. No fast one. No, n- There's no fast one anywhere in here, but there's no possibility of a fast one. I got... Uh, Think about that. You got my carving knives in there on that list that you got? They're not... Yeah, but they're down. <clears throat> oh, okay. It's it's a long... It yeah. refreshes. It refreshes all the time. I, yeah, I think it's okay. important to know that there's, uh, as Corinne's notes here say, there's many auction phases. Yeah. Yes. So items go up. They sit for two weeks. And then another block of items goes up. We have original artwork, all kinds of stuff coming up. We have stuff clear into December. This is just like the initial thing. And then stuff comes in. Pete Alonzo, mm-hmm. baseball player. He's sending Thank in a you, bat and a helmet signed. A uh, bat and a jersey. Bat and a jersey yep. signed. Some dudes from the Pittsburgh Steelers are sending stuff Thanks, in. Thanks, Joe. Yep. Signed jersey. I have a commissioned piece of artwork that I'm getting of wolves ripping the guts out of a buffalo that's still standing there. And when that's done, a print will go into the auction house of oddities. But we also have original artwork. Uh, Kelsey Johnson, original bighorn sheet painting. That ought to tickle Yanni's fancy. You know, (laughs) I'm I'm thinking about, you know, people want to do uh, mounts or replicas or whatever. I'm thinking about asking her to paint it. Yeah, or maybe just sketch it. Okay. Maybe just uh-huh. do like a, a, a black and white of that mm-hmm. ram standing on the side of that And then we'll mountain. put a print of that in the auction house of oddities. And maybe yeah, you cool. on that rock with your gun pointed in the sky trying to <laughs> bang <laughs> <in> it. <laughs> live, live rounds laying next to you. Uh, as for that guitar, here's uh, a quick... Uh, he's not in the studio with us right now, but um, here, here's a quick uh, convo with Luke about the guitar just so you know what you're getting into when you go donate on this. Okay, Luke, tell everybody about the guitar. Hey man, we got some guitars in my manager's office. When somebody calls, go in, rip a couple of tunes on it myself, sign it, send it in. Uh, so bid away, man. All right. There you have it. Go to the Meat Eater Auction House of Oddities and find a guitar. Been played by Luke Holmes, up for auction now. And then remember the 5,000 deal, and then uh, Chester comes and plays that guitar too. Sing some, Chester. Hoo yip. Hoo yip. Hoo yip. Hoo. There it is. There it is, man. <laughs> There it is. And remember, when the auction is closed, the winning bidder on Luke's guitar can decide to kick in an extra five grand and Chester the Divester, formerly known as Chester the Tester, Chester the Molester, (laughs) Chester the Investor, who then divested and became Chester the Divester, Chester will hand deliver the guitar to your door and sing that crazy coyote song he's always singing. Hoo yip, hoo yip, hoo. 
And the cowboy says, if that's not worth five grand, listen, <laughs> it's going to be a quick trip. It's going to be awesome. weird. It's going to be weird for everybody. <laughs> but Chester's going to come into your house. He's going to sit down. You can have any people you want to have over, over. Chester will sing that song. And the coyote says, hoo, yip, hoo, yip, hoo. You're going to have the nicest person in the world. Nicest guy in the world sitting at your house. If you got dirty dishes in the sink, I guarantee you'll do them. <laughs> you'll probably do them. He's going to walk out of your house. He's going to walk out of your life. He's going to go back to the airport and go back to where he came from. But you can, you'll know when he's coming. You can invite people over, and Chester will play Luke Combs' guitar. If you got that, snow on your walk, and listen, <laughs> that's not the uh, that's not the first time Chester's played one of Luke's guitars. That's right. You will right. see in the season if you haven't watched it already that uh, well, Luke played some music, but a bunch of guys sat around playing Luke's guitars, and uh, Chester did John Prine's. Uh, Cal, you weren't there. You Yeah. What can't remember what it was. Yeah. Fish and whistle? No. No, it's um Oh shucks. Peabody's Coltrane. No. No. We'll come back it's to a it. F- finger finger picking song. He picks it. Oh. We'll come back to it. <laughs> Phil, you know what? Let's find out what it is. We just plug that song in. Yeah. And it plug me in saying it like I've remembered. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Hey everybody, this is Chester the Divester, formerly known as Chester the Investor, and this is the song, It's All the Best by John Prine. Samantha Bates declared Chester the nicest person in the world. I th- that prompted me to wonder who was second. I got to four and still hadn't made the list, and I gave up. I'm like, okay, but who's the fourth nicest person? And I said, is, I just, I was like, never <clears throat> did I make the top three? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you have kids. At least for the first ten years of their lives, they'll always give you that number one spot. On that subject, if you watch the new episodes and have a question about what you're seeing, um, or about Chester the Divester, that's the best. I wish I would have thought of that. Who thought of Chester the Divester? That was actually Phil, God, right? No, Did you, no, no. Didn't think about Listen, that? I wish I could take credit. It was not me. I don't know who it was. Oh, I mean, I, it would have been on brand for you I to come up with I wrote, that. I felt like we talked about that before. I wrote it, but then I, I was like, I thought that I, I thought that I, it was in my head. I thought no, that Chester the Divester is brand new. That's great. Uh, if you have questions about what you see on the show, write in um, to to, to our, uh, our our man Corey to reach him. Meat eater at the meat eater dot com. Uh, I don't know subject line. Just put a question mark or something, and then we'll get to that question. Uh, Jordan, what do you think about that auction house? It looks pretty stacked. Really? Mm-hmm. I like that. 
That should be a slogan for it. <laughs> stacked. It's stacked. stacked. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. Here's a crazy-ass news story. Um, hang tight, Jar. We're going to get to you okay. big time. Uh, I don't understand this story. What about it? I, I just don't know. Like, I, I don't get it. So some guys just killed a 13-foot, 5-inch alligator, 750 pounds, Eagle Lake, close to the Mississippi-Louisiana border. They bring it to a processor. Okay. Processor goes to butcher the gator. This processor always likes to take a gander and see what is in the stomach. You following, Cal? Oh, yeah. What are you doing? What am I doing? Or are you doing something different? uh, Are you not entertained? (laughs) (laughs) He likes to look in the stomach contents. (laughs) Cal already knows the story. He always finds bones, hair, feathers. And he finds stones. But in this one, he finds some unusual stones. It just doesn't make sense. This alligator has in his stomach two stone projectile points. Well, no one. They don't know that the other oh. one is a projectile point. Yeah, but it's a... Okay. It is pointy. Sorry. Yanni knows. Take it away, Yanni. <clears throat> I was just just adding a little bit. But yeah, I think it makes total sense. Explain to me how that makes sense. An anthropologist estimates that that projectile point style was from five to 6,000 years ago. Correct. And you should know that alligators don't live that long. But it says that they... Because he's got no pockets. Right, but no, maybe... When he finds it, he's got no pockets. Where else is he going to keep it? (laughs) Maybe it was in the water bottom. (laughs) They, of course it was. Yeah. But they they take in rocks for the same reason that birds do. If you read the whole article, right? They use it to to grind up... Well, Corinne and I got to talking. Were you not entertained, Steve? Listen. Listen, man. You don't think that's true? No, I didn't have time to read the whole article. Because no. <laughs> <laughs> granted, I got to talk about something. So, I, I think it's it's coincidental that he happened to uh, grab, but it's it's not so coincidental as because it, it might happen to a chicken too that they picked up a, like a very small bird point, right, and mistook it for some small piece of gravel and put it in their gizzard. But chicken only lives five years. Mm-hmm. Right? Alligators live, come on, Cal. You, 40. Really? Wow. Oh, I was even thinking longer. Like some well, of these critters are really old, the, right? Yeah, the one in the one in Florida that they've been pumping up, uh, I want to say it was like 40-some. Huh. So he, he, is, he has uh, ingested lots of rocks over the course of his life or her life. I don't know if it was a female um, alligator, but... Uh, so, you know, I don't know if it's hundreds or whatever, but like, there's a higher mm. likelihood that he's going to have a, a projectile point in his belly than a, uh, than, than a chicken, right? Okay, here's but, what, here's, like, but it's still, it's uncanny. It is. And and here's especially what I'm that at. there's two of them So you play like you're an alligator. Okay. And you walk out and go pick up a handful of rocks and then we'll check what you got. Okay. <laughs> it's like, what are the odds? It's going to be like, oh, look, I picked up an Indian arrowhead. Yeah. It's uncanny. It's well, it's wild. so uncanny, in fact, that we're covering it here today. Well, it's really nuts that there's two of them. Yeah. We hope no one lied, but, you know. I no, mean, you'd want to know where he's hanging out. Eagle Eagle Lake? I don't know what the I'm getting, you know, I'm going to strap on my snorkel and go in there and have a look. 
There we go. The one Let's piece hope you don't is get eaten by an alligator. The piece that is like a teardrop shape. It's called a uh, plummet, mm-hmm. and uh, scientists don't know exactly what purpose they serve, which is interesting. Fish and sinker. That's what, that's what it looks like. That's, that's what, my. That's, that's my what belief. they thought. You think it's like an ancient? Yeah, I think yeah. it's a. It's got two holes okay. in it, but the holes don't go all the way through. Hmm. It's God, very I heavy. Read, I should have read that article. Interesting. <laughs> Dude, I'd be doing such a better job as a host right now if I'd read that article. <laughs> I'd be tearing it up. I'd be like, one would think it was a fishing sinker, but the holes don't go all the way through. <laughs> <laughs> but instead, I'm like, it's a fishing sinker. Uh, oh. <laughs> you guys remember what... Um, so a stomach rock, which is what we're talking about. Okay. Versus... Uh, rock that's already been through the stomach. Oh, which is huh. called what? Well, it's gastrolite or gastrolith. And huh. one one is currently in the stomach while the other one is oh. passed through the stomach. Is that right? That's yeah. A good, that's a good trivia question so, right there. Did you know that from reading the article? No, I knew, knew that because uh, that old outfitter buddy of mine that I'm always talking about had some gastro... gastrolites. Can't remember which one's which. That's the problem. It's like stalactites and stalagmites, man. Right. Mm. Yeah. Oh, which one's which? Exactly like tights. That. Tights are hanging. Are from hanging the, right from the ceiling. And mites. Sure. Are going up. I don't know. Sure. Right. <laughs> so thusly, <laughs> a rock that has passed through the stomach is a gastrolith or gastrolite. Can't remember, but yeah, that's that's the, oh, the name okay. for him. Yeah. Huh. Great story, though. I'm gonna go read it afterward. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> I feel like I'm fairly checked out on it now. Yeah, oh. so the American alligator, uh, there's some oddballs to this, but we're typically like a max of 45 years, years okay. of age. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, one thing I, I kicked around was like, we always call them dinosaurs, right? It's like living dinosaurs, sure. living fossils, whatever. And uh, they, like, yeah, they do exist in the fossil record, but like, the American alligator that was here during the time of the dinosaurs was like 35 feet long. Hmm. It was a little hmm. different. Hmm. It was Jesus <laughs> eating big old arrowheads. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do they? Do you know if they travel far distances in their lifetime or stay relatively local? Because then maybe Steve will go check out that water bottom. Yeah, no, home, home bodies. Yeah. But yeah, mm-hmm. the, you know, they move with uh, high water. Hmm. Yeah. There's a clue. So they, they disperse, like, kind of similar to beavers. Eagle Lake. Yep. See me running around the arrowhead necklace. <laughs> Even though you know where I've been. <laughs> oh, I want those megalodon teeth, too. Yeah, There's I'll keep, so I'll much keep my eyes. There. I'll bring you one of those. Yeah, thank you. Uh, we covered, I'm going to try to do this one quick. We covered how, uh, like, seeing orange surveyor's tape out in the woods and how it's, I think it's unsightly. So we always, like, tear it off and put it in your pocket. Got a couple letters from people pointing out why that's a stupid idea. <laughs> A, a surveyor, uh, so someone from the Forest Service, guy from the BLM, talked about don't just indiscriminately rip down surveyor's tape. It's often there because we're doing work. We're like marking timber. We're laying out trail corridors. We've paid people to go in and place said orange tape. And you responded with, <laughs> well, that's not what I was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and that... Yeah, I, 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 yeah. So, stand corrected. Um, 
And then they also had some examples of when they've put up a bunch of orange tape for a purpose and paid to get it put there. And then they come back and it is because someone done them the favor of taking it down. So bear that in mind. Only if it leads to a wallow should you If it leads to a wallow or you watch it for 10 years and it sort of starts to fade and turn white. And drip onto the ground somehow. And maybe it's time to pick it up. But then there's also apparently biodegradable flagging tape. Yeah, that'd, that'd be great. Which one person encourages folks to buy instead of the plastic? Well, tape. way back in the hunter safety days, they, they always said, consider using toilet paper oh. hmm. for flagging. Hmm. Yeah. Because hmm. then that, that degrades over time. Yeah, people be like, now why would that guy poop up in that tree? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Cal's dog almost died. Talk about that, Cal. So it's all controversial, and like the more I read into it, more controversial. controversy. Yes. So like flat out from multiple sources. Oh, dogs don't die from rattlesnake bites. Okay. It's like oh, it's an anomaly. If a dog, all my years of being a vet, only had one dog die, and that got bit right on the throat, and uh, it was an airway issue, not mm. it was a swelling airway issue, and then. Um, the treatment side of envenomation gets uh, even gets into some controversy as well. It's like uh, anti-venom and uh, the production of anti-venom type products on the market are very limited and they're very expensive and do they work? Mm-hmm. And it's it, it's been pretty fascinating studying up on this stuff because it all comes down to these biological factors that like we'll never know. Got it. It's like the dog. So my dog, for instance, uh, I've been around a lot of dead and dying animals. And I, I'll tell you, uh, I was seeing many signals and signs where I was like, okay, prepare yourself. This is... This is this is going this direction. I've seen Cal lose a dog. Yeah. Damn near. <laughs> it's not, it's not, I don't take it easy. I'm, I'm a sissy when it comes to those dogs. And um, so Snort got bit right on the ear, uh, which is. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't as bad as what's happening to it right now as Corinne <laughs> tries to lift it into her right. lap. It was yeah, less traumatic. Hi. She's it like, was, I'll take the ear, I'll take the rattlesnake, to be honest with you. It was less traumatic. Um Oh, that's so good. And uh, so this dog may, her biological system, she may be like a little more predisposed to react to anticoagulants, uh-huh. which rattlesnake venom contains an anticoagulant. And she bled profusely. Like it's a highly vascular area. Ears bleed like crazy. Mm-hmm. But this like bled to the point where I had serious trouble stopping it. Bleeding out of the fang holes. Yes. Or did it like swell up so much that blood was coming other places? Well, eventually both okay. of those things. But I mean, think of how tiny rattlesnake fangs are. Like we're talking like little tiny pinpricks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the, uh, you know, necrotic uh, factors in venom uh, made the meat around those little tiny pinpricks start to deteriorate fast and then uh the swelling was almost instantaneous and uh she started bleeding out of another spot on her ear and developed like this giant pus pocket and then the hair was like come like 
actively falling, like actively falling off, like sloughing oh. off her ear. And this is all in what kind of amount of time? So she got bit just a little prior to 11 a.m. And she ran back to me at heel and had one little drop of blood on her ear. So now, you didn't even know that she'd been bit? I didn't. I, I walked over to confirm that it was, in fact, a rattlesnake, even though I was like, I know what this is. Because you saw her ear bleeding. Yes. So it, I was walking out. She was within my line of sight, but uh-huh. I wasn't paying attention to her. I saw her turn, go, yip. Oh, I see. Okay. And come back to me. But so you a, knew where to go look. Yeah, in a yeah. very casual fashion. But the thing is, like, I was well within even my poor hearing distance of the snake mm. and the snake hadn't rattled or anything like that, which kind of leads into this other conspiracy theory of rattlesnakes. It's like people are selectively harvesting snakes that rattle. So if you're an indiscriminate rattlesnake killer, you're finding snakes that rattle and then killing those snakes, leaving the snakes that do not rattle. And they think they're driving natural selection. Yes. There's all sorts of stuff out there. I, I would I would like you to take that one to Heffelfinger. I, I will. I, will. I think there's, the Heffelfinger will say like it don't quite work that way. I, I will tell you <laughs> I will tell you, man, there's there's an endless amount of people that care about their dogs. Uh-huh. Um so there's a lot of service to be done on the hows and whys of this stuff. I, I, I wanna keep You should write a pamphlet. Be like, so your dog got bit by a rattlesnake. Yeah. Can I interest you in a pamphlet? Because <laughs> uh, people love pamphlets. Um so, ears start swelling up. What you do, or the standard operating procedure for uh, a rattlesnake bite victim is make them calm, reduce the heart rate. Ideally, you're going to have that bite area below the heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like go ahead and, and use ice on, if the you The bite can. area below the heart. Below the heart. So, it's not like you're... The R-E-S-T type of acronym, or RICE, rather. Rest, Ice, Compression, Elevation. Um, yeah, no one ever tells you to, to lower something down. Right. 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 Huh. So you want to, like, use gravity to keep uh, the venom far from the heart and oh, the lungs. No shit, really? Yeah. Yeah. No. So. And did you, did you cut an X and suck the venom out, Cal? No, no, I didn't. I mean, part of me was like, do I just go full Western here and cut this ear off right now? Yeah. Um, yeah. But then hmm. I determined that if the dog's going to die, I'd much rather her think that uh, it was the snake that killed her than me. Yeah. Uh, She'd go to the grave being like, that son of a bitch, man. Yeah. <laughs> Thought we, we were had, friends. Yeah, we had a good thing going. Um, so... Yeah, so it it took nine hours to get her to the vet, and because you were way the hell out. Yeah, way. I mean, way the way the hell out. I mean, like gates and flat tires and busted trailers and all this like horrible comedy of errors that just like you know, and you just feel guilty because you know it's your job to take care of these things. So by the time she got to actual medical care. She had kind of gone through these spells of being like very much not okay to, oh, oh, the dog's kind of acting fine Mm. to then very much not like, oh, I recognize this. This isn't good. So then um, 
ultimately how I got the bleeding to like subside a little bit is I got a, uh, a quick clot package, like dug that. That was like my last thing. I, I used every bit of material in my first aid kit and, uh, and got that like plastered to her ear, her ear plastered to her head. Uh, and keep in mind like that ear is like, if you, if you like waved a feather on that thing, that dog would like scream hmm. as if she was being skewered. And, uh, it was just horrendous deal, but th- we had this situation where she was like kind of going into shock. So, it, uh, had a super highly elevated heart rate, had lost a bunch of blood. The, her overall, um, ability to coagulate her blood's ability to coagulate was basically like not existent at that point. And, then like things just kind of got more complicated. We were nine plus hours out from when she got hit by the snake. A lot of folks that you talk to say like antivenin's the most effective within two hours. And then you have this like law diminishing returns Mm -hmm. and it's very expensive stuff. Um, and a dog this size, she's 47 pounds. She she probably would have been hit with like four doses of anti-venom and their 400, the, the type that she had is not like the crazy expensive stuff. And it, it's still 400 and some dollars a, a bag. So this is IV um, solution that's that's pre-frozen. So we kind of have this, this talk of like, should she actually get this stuff? It's like hard to get. Some years it's just like non-existent. Um, it's it, it can be kind of controversial because it's like places that have money can get it. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, but it also, it's like a supply and demand thing too. It's like places that don't have a lot of money probably don't have a lot of people that are going to pay for it anyway. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, I got her up to... Sun Valley Animal Hospital in, in Haley, Idaho, where, uh, my previous dog that, that you mentioned, the big fish, uh, received care and I really liked those folks. So, um, got her up there after calling, going through towns and calling vet offices and having people be like, nope, don't bring her here. No. Cause of why? I was just like, yeah, doctors went home. I'm like, really? <sighs> well, why, I don't understand. Why would they not want the dog in there? I just don't, I don't know. I do not know. So you're like, my dog got bit by a rattlesnake. It might be dying. And they'd say, and no, room, like, no room at the end. Yep. They're like, Ooh, sorry. Hmm. That's so weird. Like yeah. too much for them to deal with. Too much for them to deal with too late in the day. Like, uh, geez, they, they, they must not uh, take like whatever the Hippocratic oath is or something <laughs> for dog people, man. Um, Cow. and, but I mean, also keep in mind, like uh, there's a lot of folks that I've talked to who are like, Oh yeah, dogs don't die. Mm-hmm. from from rattlesnake bites right and it's like oh well overblown and i bumped into a cowboy on the way out super nice dude who's like hey how's it going because i told you we trespassed through this ranch to do that sheep hunt and uh so I, like i felt obligated to stop and talk to this guy even though it's the last thing i wanted to do I'm like hey dog got bit by a rattlesnake he's like oh yeah one of my dogs got bit earlier this year um god i wish i could remember the exact words he used but they were fantastic but little cow dog about the size of snort anyway got bit on the leg mm-hmm. 
um, which as you can imagine, the leg's a lot easier to keep below the heart than the ear is. And uh, he's like, yeah, I got uh, real serene for a while or something like that. It was interesting choice of words, but the dog got uh, real, real mellow mm-hmm. for a while. Then she lost a bunch of flesh, but now she's fine. Hmm. Yeah, and that, he didn't even consider trying to get that dog all the way out of there to a vet. Um, and that, that does happen quite a bit. Um, and everybody thinks their dog's super special. I obviously think this dog's very special, but from what I saw- Uh, I don't think that my dog's special. (laughs) No, come on. (laughs) So, uh, I got to take Snort home with an IV bag full of fluids. Uh, and my, my place in, in Ketchum was vacant at the time. So I got to run up there and camp out on the floor, which is- Exactly how I moved well, into the place. You slept the at place. the vet. I would have slept at the vet. I was like, "Oh, here's the deal. If you guys aren't going to monitor over the night, oh, I, like, I'm with you. Yeah. I will." Um, so, but I, they sent me home with an IV bag, gave me the math on what they wanted to with the anti venom stuff in it. Not with anti venom at that point, because like we had this talk, and there's this d- discussion of like where she's at, like near shock. The number one thing that we need to do is reduce your heart rate. Okay. There are some side effects that are possible with antivenom, and it could be negative enough to kill the dog in the state that she's in. I'm with you. It's possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had just like this horrible night where I was uh, trying everything I could to make the dog comfortable. The dog's like very much uncomfortable, um, doing like a lot of, again, like dying dead dog things like trying to get up and move and then quitting and then like oh remembering that it had to be somewhere and then quitting and all these things so eventually i uh unhooked her from the iv and she just crawled out laid on my chest and i was like all right like this is the way you want to go out this is the way you want to go out type of thing and uh we both slept for like an hour and a half. And at this point, her head is swollen like all the way up. Like one eye is totally swollen over. Um, she's in a lot of pain, a lot of discomfort. Her neck is fully swollen down into her chest. And then anywhere where that edema is, where that swelling is, is also very, very sore. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and she's like screams to the touch of it. And, uh, yeah, it was just just crappy, but then uh, I get up, and the the folks at the vet office were awesome, and they're like, yeah, we just, just come in at 8 a.m. So brought her in, and, and then they gave me their phone numbers, too. They're like, yeah, check her heart rate every hour, and if it gets, if it hits 200, call me, and we'll, we'll come down and see what we can do type of thing. Yeah. And so... You know, dogs have fast heart rate, and and I'm digging around for femoral artery, trying to get her pulse, and it's just like very feathery and just like not a good, not a good strong feel to it, and it's just ripping, and so I'm spending like forty minutes checking a pulse, right? Because I'm like trying to do averages to see like where yeah. we're ending up, and. uh Eventually get her down to the vet. 
they have it is the busiest vet's office you've ever seen there's people freaking everywhere it's super busy and they basically just like clear us out a spot in the middle of like this all-purpose room where it's like business administration going on in this corner uh docs writing notes on their animal patients in this corner there's a little uh clinic table and then like snort and i just sitting there and every 20 minutes somebody swings in they're like okay how we doing and um her body's not absorbing any of those fluids she's not really drinking she's really not wanting to eat anything she's not she's got no outs you know no she's not peeing she's not pooping even though like they like ultrasound her bladder and she's like yeah she should really want to pee um to the point where they were going to try to catheterize her, but they didn't want to, you know, like that's not a painless process. And, uh, but they can't put her under because that could kill her too at that point. And then they're, they're constantly like analyzing her blood. And what was really, really wild is her blood becomes so protein deficient that it's actually like sucking the the protein out of her muscles. Hmm. And so it is just the wildest thing, man. In, in 24 hours, she has like lost noticeable muscle mass around her hips. And it's, and she's like a bony, you know, like looks like a neglected dog. And, um, and at that point, the doc, uh, cause as you guys know, I like to ask a lot of questions. The doc comes in and she's like, hey, I researched this study on otters, mustelids, where they found, uh, you know, benefits to anti-venom out to the 24-hour period. She's like, I think we have to try it at this point because her blood is just like not good. And, uh, again, like her body's not absorbing any of the fluids in the, I- in the IV. So like all the things and she won't eat and drink and all the stuff. So nothing's really going our way. Um, so I'm like, yeah, you know, let's give it a shot. And so it was just really, really wild. That one bag of antivenin, um, you could kind of see like almost almost immediate effects and it was really funny like all the the people at the vet clinic would like keep bringing by treats like different dog treats so we had like cat food and cat treats and (laughs) super fancy like paleo dog treats and all you know down to like just fat you know like beef trim fat dog you know like canned dog food stuff all the things and everybody would be like, well, maybe she'll like this. And maybe she'll like this. And the dog's like not into any of it. And then she starts like eating a little bit. And then you could kind of trick her with some Pavlovian type responses. So like if you drop dog food on the floor and your dog's like, oh, got to get that. <laughs> so I could like drop some dog food in front of her and it'd be like tink, tink, tink on the table. And she'd be like, ah, and eat like a piece of kibble. And it'd be like a piece of kibble and a piece of kibble. So then, um, yeah, she started kind of coming around on that stuff. And again, like, it's really wild. So she got, 
bitten probably 95% she got bitten by a great basin rattlesnake which the state of Idaho doesn't even recognize as like the snake for that region but and and like the research that I did you know it was really like surveys from like 1985 as far as rattlesnakes go and and in 1985 talking with Dr. Bob Reed oh, yeah. who we've had uh-huh. on the show um he's like yeah that's what those surveys would have said because we weren't quite into dividing out what rattlesnake is what at that point. Mm-hmm. And um, so the anti-venom that she got isn't even based off of the venom that she received. But like from what I saw, like that's the thing that like turned things around. Um, but that's, the, you know, it's like a generalized serum basically. Like you take this very general venom and this very general venom from these two different snakes and then you combine them in a sheep and then you take the antibodies that that sheep makes hmm. and then you no. create antivenom off those antibodies. But uh, all that was just, yeah, incredibly interesting. And, and uh, you know, it's like we had like this monumentous occasion when like myself and this vet tech, uh, Sarah, walked the dog around and all of a sudden she peed and peed oh. and peed and peed and peed. And it was like a holy shit moment. You know, it was like, oh my God. <laughs> Thank God. Like something good happened. Yeah. You know? And then, yeah, just like lots of rest. And then it was like a holy shit. She ate something like voluntarily. And then um, it was just like this really wild recovery scene of like, she's doing better than expected after doing worse than expected for like this big crash. And then it was like, okay, now we can worry about her ear, like the actual site of the wound. And like, it was like this attitude of like, boy, it'd be great to save the ear, but if we don't, who cares? She's got to. And then one of the vets took, took a look like this very seasoned vet takes a look at it. And he's like, just cut it off. Like, ah, just, I was like, well, you know, there's a lot of good, like, I think there's some good stuff there. And keep in mind, I mean, it's black. Like, the ear is black. It's, like, crispy on the edges. Um, It's got this huge pus fluid pocket in the middle of it. Um, It's, you know, like, really black around the bite wounds. Mm -hmm. Like, if you touch it with a little antiseptic cloth, like skin and hairs like sloughing off of it and uh and the the this vet dr heidi wogue who was awesome um she's like hey you know there's there's some good meat here and stuff and the uh, the senior vet the most senior vet's like you can take care of that thing for a month and we'll still have to cut it off It'd be good for the auction house of oddities, man. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Desiccated snort ear. Um, and uh, it was like, well, so like you got to be a nurse for a month and you don't know. I'm like, yes. Yeah. Sign me up. Sounds so you're great. still in that phase right now. Still in that phase right now. But like. Obviously you're going to keep the ear now. Right. The, the, yeah. Like that. The pus pocket started draining. Um, y- there's a. Uh, debridement is a super fancy word I learned for picking at scabs. Yeah. Um, 
So there was a lot of like gently cleaning the ear and getting rid of like excess stuff. And then, um, yeah, I mean, it looks awesome now and, and it's just kind of like a big bald ear. Yep. And, uh. Gosh, you bet dogs can't tell stories. Everybody. Yeah. yeah. Be like, let me tell you what this jackass yep. put me through. <laughs> Cause uh, the dog get to the part where like overhears you talking about cutting its ear off. <laughs> right. Right. It's like, and then guess what? Cal. <laughs> uh, yeah, it'd be so much better coming from the dog. So now, like, really, right now, I'm like the most worried about having a bald eared Labrador retriever and like freezing cold water and mm-hmm. air temps in January. Yeah, put a mitten on there. Right, a whole head mitten. Um, which, yeah, which all roads lead back to Garrett Smith, Dirt Meth, who was like, <laughs> "Hey, call this buddy of mine." And he's got uh, this company called Rex Specs. And uh, I'm going to get a set of uh, hearing protection, tactical hearing protection for her, which is like a head muff that has two big pads on it. Yeah. And he said you can remove one of the pads for hearing and I can keep the other one on there on the bad ear for insulation. Yeah, no, that's a good. Oh. I wouldn't thought of that. But yeah, if you go out and like, you know, sub zero temps, man, that dog's ear is going to be cooked. Yeah. Not cooked. The opposite of cooked. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Wow. So, yeah, so that's kind of the the saga of snort, and then I got a call from Cal uh, while this is all going on, and he just told me to keep my mouth shut. Yeah, <laughs> he's trying to control messaging. Yes, <laughs> yes. You got like three podcasts out of it. Well, I got I got text messages from Steve that are like, "Hey, call me. Hey, you alive? Hey, are you okay?" It's like, oh my god. <laughs> It's like a better call. Um, yeah, so, I, but, you know, all I've been talking about is this dog, like going and hunting with this dog and stuff. And so I was like. Oh, oh yeah, oh, man. So, so uh, but now, it, so we had like our first like serious training day yesterday and uh, got back to um, letting her know that even though she's very special, that doesn't mean that she's uh, not going to be disciplined. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And, and then the day before that, we took a real long walk and she found a covey of three Hungarian partridge. Didn't have any shells in my gun for the first two birds that got up. Managed to get a shell in the chamber for the third one and shot it. Uh, and she retrieved it. And that was our first bird of the year. So oh. awesome. Yep. Youth, youth duck coming right up. Yes. Yes. I want to tell you about an American-made success story and Black Buffalo's award-winning nicotine pouches. Black Buffalo was built by dippers with decades of smokeless tobacco use. Black Buffalo is all about the history and tradition of dip, but they understand the convenience and discretion modern-day consumers are looking for. Black Buffalo's nicotine pouches give you the versatility to consume discreetly, but keep the ritual with flavors dippers love. Mint, straight, and wintergreen, all proudly made right here in the USA. Tell them, Chili. The reason I like black buffalo pouches is, one, they're very discreet. And what I mean by that is I can throw one in and almost forget it's there. And I prefer the mint pouches. So if you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the black buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches 
at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. Hey everybody, I'm talking here about Montana Knife Company from our very own state of Montana. This company was founded by one of the most experienced master bladesmiths in the world, Josh Smith, who over recent months... I've become friends with, and my God, have I learned a lot about knives from this guy. Just a phenomenal hometown company that makes world-renowned knives. Josh has been making knives for 30 years. You get one of these knives up and open it, it is sharp like something that came from outer space. And here's the deal. They make knives that can be sharpened. You can work on these knives. If you don't want to work on them, you send it to them, and they'll work on it. They'll get it sharp. Phenomenal hunting knives. If you want to see them in action, we just did, uh, me and uh, John Hayes, the taxidermist, just did a video about how to properly skin a black bear. Um, Watch that video, and in that video, you'll see Montana Knife Company knives in action. MKC products usually sell out in minutes of being released, which is true. But now for the first time, They're dabbling with having knives in stock on their site. So right now you can grab yourself a Blackfoot 2.0 or the Ultralight Speed Goat. Use code MEATEATER and you get 10% off your first order. Montana Knife Company. Working knives for working people. 10% off with the code MEATEATER. That's a good deal. Rain or shine every day is a great day for fishing, right? And you probably got rain gear, but you shouldn't overlook sunny day gear. Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite Hoodie has you covered on the sunniest day. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite Hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting in to go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on then having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. I mean, who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish? But why do it if you don't have to, especially when this Solar Stream Elite hoodie is built with broad-spectrum UV protection? We're talking UPF 50, and it has airflow, so you don't overheat. And what's the alternative? Putting down the rod every half hour so you can slather on some sunscreen. Seems like an easy choice to me. So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head on over to Columbia.com slash PFG and shop all of their performance fishing gear. Okay. Jordan. Hi, Steve. Um, you ever been bit by a rattlesnake? No. I was trying mm. to find a good segue. I have not. But you grew up on a cattle ranch in Nebraska. Yeah. Where there are a lot of rattlesnakes. As you it do see a lot out. of them around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember going like when I was little, uh, we'd go over, there was a couple dens that were in like, along the creek bottom, there's like, some pine trees, like rocky outcropping type stuff that uh-huh. they like. And there was a couple pretty established ends, and I remember going in and um Sure my, shit weren't hunting dad. squirrels. No. And freed uh, up a lot of time. <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah, dad would just shoot them with like twenty two uh with the twenty two with birdshot. At what shoot time of year? A lot of them. Oh, that was like in the springtime. Yeah. And then uh, in are, fall time, too, I think. Are your folks still in the cattle ranch and business? Yeah, they're still there on the family place. You weren't drawn so. to that, though? Yeah, well, I'll go back. I'll go back, I think. Like, you'll become a cattle rancher? 
Yeah, I think oh, so. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's good. I do. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. But are, uh, are your folks surprised that you became a hunting guide? Yeah, I think my dad thought I was like, maybe didn't know exactly what I was getting into. And when I, I think when I told him like, hey, this is what I want to do, he was kind of like, eh, you like doing that, but are you going to like doing that for like a long time? Juan, he was concerned that you wouldn't enjoy it or he was concerned that you were being frivolous? He was concerned I wouldn't enjoy it. I liked hunting so much. He was afraid I was going to like overdo it, burn myself out. Got it. Yeah. Does he like to hunt? Yeah. What yeah, town in Nebraska does. is all this happening in? This is in Rushville. Okay. Northwest corner. So we're just by Shadron. How old were you when you started? How old were you when you started to hunt? Oh, man. Uh, I shot my first deer when I was 12. I can't, re- I couldn't even tell you how old I was when I like shot my first rabbit with a little 22, but I couldn't have been, I don't know, eight. Is that too young? No. No. I think it was like then. Yeah, eight. And then there's pictures of me with a uh, cork gun when I was really little, like trying to shoot turkeys out the window and whatever. Did you get any? I don't think so. Lots. <laughs> yeah. Apparently there was there was a time I was on a tricycle chasing turkeys down the driveway with a cork gun over the handlebars. Oh, got it. Yeah. So, uh, but, but tell, like, more clearly tell folks about your guiding business before we kind of really cover off and how you got into the whole thing. Yeah. So yeah, it's called running water hunting. I started it basically when I was in high school, took a little hiatus over my college years and then went back to it, um, based out of Northwest Nebraska on our family cattle ranch. I lease a couple of ranches that surround us Mm -hmm. as well. And yeah, we just hunt deer, turkeys, and not really antelope anymore. Um, but yeah, that's, that's basically it. How'd you get started in high school? So I kind of just picked it up. So I grew up with always having other hunters around because like my, you know, parents would have family friends or whatever come out and they were always from out of state. They would come out and there's like a yearly deal. And I think I would just annoy them mostly. Um, but I always wanted to go and they would reluctantly take me, I think. And then we had an outfitter from town that leased the place for a little while. So then he was bringing people and I would do the same thing. I would just go down and like hang out with them type of deal. And then... Were you bummed about that, that that was your hunting spot, but then now someone was leasing it? Yeah, that was an issue at one point, especially when I got older. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But dad was always very like, hey, this is a stipulation. Like my kid's going to hunt type of a deal. Yeah, so... Are you the only kid? Uh, I have two younger sisters. Oh, okay. Yeah, but I'm the oldest of three, so... So we, uh, yeah, I started doing that, and then when that outfitter left, just decided it really wasn't his thing, then I thought, I can do this. And when I was a senior in high school, I booked hunters off of Craigslist... Which sounds like a really safe thing yeah, to do. So what, what year are you talking about? This would be 2011. Okay. Yeah. And 2011, 2012. And so I remember there was like these two dudes, I think from like Missouri, really nice guys, booked for like a thousand bucks, came out. But when you say Craigslist, you ran an ad. Ran a freaking ad on Craigslist, yeah. As a high school. <laughs> Very stupid. And the ad said what? <laughs> I think it was just like... Five-day whitetail hunt in Nebraska. With a high schooler. Call me up. I don't know if they knew that. (laughs) (laughs) Very interesting. Did you run like on the national Craigslist? 
I think so. Honestly, I don't even remember. No, I, I think it was just in the Nebraska Panhandle, like section of the Craigslist. You know. Yeah. And then and it uh, said like five day white five day whitetail hunt. Yeah, five day whitetail hunt with a muzzleloader. Like, What'd you charge? Thousand bucks. Did you put that down? Piece. Yeah. That's they, hilarious. Uh, yeah. <laughs> with your phone number. Yeah, with my phone number. And they called me. Forget about Allowance And they were like, money. this is either going to be great. <laughs> yeah. Or this is going to be really bad. Yeah, Allowance money. Yeah, you tell your parents, you know that dishwashing deal? Uh-uh. <laughs> yeah. I got a business now. <laughs> no, I'm um, buying the dishwasher. <laughs> yeah, I'm buying the dishwasher, yeah. So, yeah, they came out. How many calls did you get when uh, you ran the ad? Dude, I don't even remember. I think... I mean, those were like the only two guys I think called and were like, <laughs> hey, is this legit? And yeah, what, I wish I remembered that more. What'd you say? I just like told him the rundown. Like, hey, uh, like this is what kind of what I told you. Like, this is what the deer like to do. This is how we like to hunt them. Like, you have a place to stay. Meals are on you. And yeah, come hang Did you out. put them up? Yeah. Yeah, we have a. Uh, this is my class co- schedule. We call. Uh, <laughs> yeah, seriously. That yeah, that. Comes, so you had, that to play, comes later. you had to play some serious hooky to do this whole thing. Oh yeah, well we. So I started. I always started. Um, I tried to start the hunts on like get get the guys in on Friday. Mm-hmm. Go like show them around. I would hunt with them Saturday, Sunday, and then they would kind of have the, like the they feel would for the place. Kind of feel for the place, and then I would send them on their own. For like Monday, While Tuesday, you ran Wednesday, texting them in class and stuff. Yeah, like keeping track. It's very really? crazy. Yeah, it's so like enterprising. Well, the scary thing is like I just didn't think there was anything wrong with that. You didn't or, have any kind of. I mean, you had to like no licensing or anything. No, well, you don't have to have guide licensing okay. in, in Nebraska. I got yeah. you. Were you I'm ever private. in class and getting a text message that's like, "Hey, come help us track this thing." I don't think that happened, no. They each shot a buck, I remember, and it <laughs> died, like, right next to their, like, easy to get to. You and they were happy customers. View. Yeah, they were super pumped. I still have them on Facebook, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so those are your ter- your first two clients. <laughs> those are my first two clients, yeah. And it, how, where did it go from there? Yeah, so That's oh, a man. great story, man. Yeah, so uh, right when I graduated high school... Uh, we had another, like an outside outfitter come in and offer us up. And that's when I just... Oh, you got displaced again. I did get displaced. And that's when dad was like, you need to focus on college instead of probably this situation. And um, how do you argue with that type of deal, I guess? So I did that for, <clears throat> went to college and then... Studied what? So I studied ag business. Okay. Yeah. And so I went... Not deer business. No. So then this is where it gets interesting because when I was in that same like senior year when I was trying to start this outfitting business, I was also really intrigued with like filming mm-hmm. and doing that kind of thing. And so I'd started writing for like a little self-filmed website and so started kind of my media business, if you will, then as well. And when I got to college, I started... Uh, filming buddies and like just putting together little videos and I was at a show and there were some guys like the uh, Preferts that have like the blue like ranch equipment like bucking shoots and stuff Mm -hmm. like that at the rodeos Um, they have a company producing ranch equipment yes yeah yeah Yeah, it's called the whole company is called Prefert and I have a, a cousin 
that it was a rodeo judge, knew them, brought them in. They had just started their own TV show at the time for hunting. Um, and so kind of got in with those guys. And then they knew of this other company out of Cody, Wyoming. That's like a gun manufacturer. And they, I saw them at a show, at a hunting show where we were actually trying to sell hunts for this other outfitter that at least our place. And I just went up and like started talking to him and the guy's like, if we ever look for a videographer, we'll let you know. And of course I'm like, never going to hear from them. And they called me in like August that year and wanted me to film, start filming sheep hunts for the show in Wyoming. Cause they were and guiding. That was crazy. I mean, how the hell many sheep hunts they going on? Um, that, I mean, so that first year I think I filmed three, two or three. And then the next year, I think I filmed like six in Wyoming. And then, yeah, just but like I mean, some like, other elk and deer Because those guys well. were guiding and they had clients that wanted it filmed or what was it? Yeah. So they had a rifle manufacturer. And yeah. so they were sending uh, like their rifles on hunts with people. And one of the guys that owned it also like had owned to draw an, a outfitting, an outfitting business. Yeah. I see. Yeah. And so, so it was like hunters. a big marketing deal. Yep. Yeah. Yeah different hunters all the time yeah but you started documenting those trips yeah yeah so i started doing that so i went through the my first year of college and then my second year i went through my see how this go i started my second year i was just about ready to start my junior year of college my junior fall and they um offered me this thing like to go and like film for the fall well i'm like i can't do both i can't go to college and film and i don't think dad was very happy at first with that decision either, but I just like dropped all my classes in college. And really? I went and filmed, yeah, for the show for the first fall. And then I went back to college for that spring. And then that's it. I haven't been back. Your parents pissed? I need to finish. Eh, no, I don't think so. Not now. That You're going to go finish I've, now? I've done okay. No. Yeah, what's know. the point now? Probably nothing. Do it. What do you like? You're 80. Yeah. If you get bored. Mm-hmm. Just you're not going to want to sit in the class now, no. man. Once you no. get a taste of not sitting in there, you're not yeah. going to be able to sit in there. Yeah. So yeah. I, yeah, I ended up going, this does, this goes back to the hunting a little bit, the, or the outfitting business. The, um, that outfitter that came in from the outside, um, kind of have a, had a fallen out and he moved on. Fallen out with? Um, just kind of some landowners in the area. Gotcha. Just like wasn't meshing type of deal. So he he moved on, and then we had didn't have anybody coming out to the the ranch anymore. Well, by that time I had taken a full time position with that TV show and Cody, so I had moved, and so then I started running water hunting like officially as an LLC, and I just booked people in as semi guided, and they would come in. I would like have all the tree stands set and whatever during the summer, mm -hmm. and run cameras as much as I could. And then my dad would just kind of show them around, like, hey, this is where you park. Um, I would send them on X pins with um, where to go, basically, like where the stands were set. Yeah. And then I just ran it as a semi-guided for those couple of years. And then I ended up quitting the TV show and I moved back to Nebraska. And Why'd you quit the TV show? Just to go focus on other stuff? Yeah. I, it was just time to mm -hmm. go. You know, like I had been there full time for two years and actually filming with them for like four seasons. And it was just, I'd run its course. You're like on a salary? Yeah, I was on a salary. Okay. Yeah, for a couple of years. And going to eight to five job kind of sucks. That was an eight to five job? It was, yeah. It was an eight to five. Huh. And then like I would film and then 
when even when we weren't filming, like I was still expected to be in the office. Just eight, doing all the post production and yeah, yeah, I would do like everything that I filmed. I pretty much did all the post on, and then you know there was a couple other people that worked in there as well. But yeah, there was a lot of there was a lot of downtime that I didn't really need to be in there, you know. Yeah, and I just wanted to uh, get back and I guess help dad with the ranch too a little bit and just. It was just time to move on. So Did I, your folks play hardball with you at all? Were they like, now, Jordan, this is like a reasonable cut for your folks as far as like, uh, you don't get to just charge money and we don't get a, a piece of the oh, pie. Oh, yeah, no. I pay, I pay a <laughs> lease for sure. Oh, they, so they, they don't give you like a hand, they don't give you like a friendship deal? Oh, I think that I get a friendship deal. Okay, but you're still paying. Yeah, oh, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I, really? I wouldn't get a free ride for sure. And then, like, I go back huh. now and I help dad, like, hay all summer. So then I think there's a little bit of trading that goes on for, like, oh, okay. work for a yeah. lease, you know. But then you kind of, yeah. like, you gradually start doing, like, more guiding, though, right? Yeah, more. I mean, like, more involved once you were back more there. More involved, yeah. yeah. Then that's when I started doing, like, fully guided, including the meals, being there all the time and. I mean, essentially being able to charge more for that. Um, and how are you finding, how did, when you went back to start doing it more seriously, how would you find customers or clients? Honestly, a lot of it was word of mouth. Um, I still put some, I've gone away from Craigslist, but I have <laughs> put a few ads on eBay before. And that's actually a pretty good way of uh, generating some some things there. And then there was just other, like Guide Fitter, I think is a, sure. a yeah, website. Yep. Yeah, and a lot of, lot of that but most of it's like repeat people or just word of mouth how many people can you hunt every year i take for deer i take like 12 total is what i like to take like 12 between 12 and 15 between archery muzzleloader and then the rifle season have you You got them all yourself sorry Oh no, you're fine. Do you have um, guides that I work had, for you? Yeah, I had before. I do have a, a kid that's gonna guide for me this fall to help me out a little bit. Last year was crazy. I just like I had still have the media business and then the hunting business and it was all very much like back to back. I'd get back from a film trip on like a Friday as the other hunters were rolling in and then we'd start guiding on like a Saturday or something like that. And it was just it was too much. So I, I got a guy in to help this year. Some of the logis- logistical stuff. If you had to split, if you had to decide between doing the media business and the hunting <sighs> guide business, what would you do? Oh, let me let me do, let's do a three way. Okay, you had to do like cattle. Yeah, hunting guide, show business, hmm. and whatever you pick, you had to stick with the rest of your life. Oh man, I would say media business because really, I think so. Huh. Go on. <laughs> uh, I don't know. That's a hard one, Steve. They're yeah. all pretty split. They're all pretty split right now in my life anyways. Yeah. Evenly split. But yeah, the media stuff, I think mostly because that's where I do like all my Western hunting oh, type stuff. Oh, I got you. That's where I get Because it to... keeps you out and engaged yeah. and new, doing new stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like takes me all over, which is kind of cool. So, yeah. So do you freelance for people now? I do. Yeah. So my... The ranch name is Running Water Ranch, Mm -hmm. and so I spun off of that with Running Water Hunting, and then I did the same with the media, so it's Running Water Media. Got it. Yeah. How far into the future are you booked on the whitetail hunts? Uh, This year's full, that's pretty pretty much it. 
Um, I've got some people that are always like come back year to year. So archery is usually fairly full. Muzzleloader is usually really full. I think two years ago you killed some giant white tail during muzzleloader, didn't with you? Avery? Yeah. Yeah. We, he was like, they scored him. He's like 178 or something like that. Yeah. That's a big white tail. Yeah. I think he'd be, be booking lots of folks with 170 inch white tail coming, was, falling out of your pockets. I wouldn't say falling out of my pockets. <laughs> I really try to like, I really try to be like conservative with selling some of these hunts, like, especially on the size and stuff. Just, you know, like we do have some mule deer too, and our tags are good for either, but there are some guys that have called me and said, I want a 180 mule deer bust. And I'm kind of like, yeah, you don't want to come here then. Got just it. Cause it's not, that's not fun selling things like, that I don't know. It's interesting, like that outfitter that leased our place at the time. Like we would get handed. I guided for him as well, and mm-hmm. like we would get handed people that you don't. It took me a while to realize you don't really know what they got sold. Mm-hmm. You just know what you're supposed to be guiding and what's out there. Yeah, and it's really awkward after the first, when they have a set of expectations that you would never give them. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. It's really awkward. So I try really hard not to do that. Right, you'd be uh, like, that's a really good deer. And they'd be like, what deer? Yeah, like, exactly. They're like, well, where are all the big deer? I had that conversation oh, once. It wasn't very much yeah, fun. I can imagine. Yeah, man. it wasn't good. So I try to stay very much in the, we like to keep a small, like, tight-knit, you know, group when we're there. Like, four people tops is all we'll take at a time. Mm-hmm. And So it's intimate. Yeah, I don't want, like, a huge camp. I want it more to be, like... I want to say more like family, but kind of more mm-hmm. of like a. And you're in there special. cooking and everything too. I did cook last year a little bit. Oh. Yeah, wouldn't say it was great, Steve, but <laughs> it, it got the job done. Yeah, yep. So yeah, we're including all that. I saw a thing recently on maybe it wasn't recently. I don't know. I was scrolling through your social media stuff. Yeah. You had a thing where you weren't posting trail cam photos anymore. Oh yeah, yeah. What's we, that all about? Oh, uh, we had a deal. I mean, I have a theory. Yeah, we just had a deal where it was like I think we were we were posting a lot of pictures and I think people people were like moving in on the neighboring ground that yeah. technically isn't supposed to be getting hunted but they know nobody's really out there so they Yeah. I could totally in. picture it. Yeah. So Yeah, I don't know. Cuz that's kind of like an advertisement thing for if you're a deer guide, right? Yeah. Do, so, I mean, do, do you view that by putting up what you're seeing on trail cams? Do you view that as like a marketing thing or is it just cuz you're interested in it? Uh, putting, yeah, just like me posting trail camera pictures. Yeah, I mean, you're doing that to show people like, hey, here's what's going on. Hey, here's what's going on like this year type of deal. Like, yes. Um, but it does have a little, there's another edge to that sword. Which is, you advertise. Yeah, you just, then people like around know what's there and there's places that you can kind of slip in. Mm -hmm. Like from the back or whatever that's. I don't know the nicest way to say that just like poachers trespassing yeah big like deer know make what people it is. do stupid things yeah right? they d- yeah it does so yeah that was pat Durden cool, right that story big deer make people stupid <laughs> hmm <laughs> so now what uh who when you're filming who do you work for do you do, do people so, if do you have clients that like that they're going hunting and they want to like document the hunt and you'll hire on to go document their hunt yeah yeah, pretty much. So, yeah, there's like, uh, there's a lady I filmed for the last couple of years has bought 
like governor sheep tags. Okay. Um, I'll go film her on those. Um, like rockslide.com is a website that I've written for for a long time and they wanted to start doing like, you know, just doing good films of their hunts to help, I think with their, you know, brand and image and stuff. So I'll go do those. Um, crispy boots have done some stuff for, um, but yeah, it's just things like that. Kind of whatever companies I'm, I'm involved with, if they need somebody to go with them or to take product pictures or whatever, I can go. Gotcha. I can go help. Yeah. Uh, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, how'd you flip that? Because normally it sounds like you're behind the camera, you're guiding, but you just got done with a pretty special hunt where you got to be behind the gun. Yeah. How, how'd that? that how'd got, you flip that, that one? That got flipped. Yeah. So that was a deal through Sig Sauer, who I started working with a couple years ago. Yeah. And so they've got, they've got a rifle coming out that we wanted to do. It's... Um, we wanted to do a hunt, like kind of around what the rifle was intended for. And it's just a really lightweight, packable rifle. And so uh kind of threw a pitch out, like, hey, this is what this thing is made for. Like, why don't you send me on a sheep hunt? And they're <laughs> like, well, we might be able to make that happen. And it like worked within, you know, however. And you were like, suckers. <laughs> yeah, I still can't believe it. Well, that's great. I still can't believe it. So that's what we did. In the Brooks Range. Yeah, South Slope. Yep. Got an outfitter that uh, I actually found the hunt in January. He had had a couple cancellations. Found it off Craigslist? <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> that one was word of mouth, too. It was? <laughs> yeah. Did you have fun but, doing uh, that? Yeah, it was awesome. It's totally coincidental, but I was looking at, into some hunts in the Brooks Range, talking to some people. And the Brooks Range right now is not in good shape. The sh- I should no. say the sheep in the Brooks Range are not in good shape. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of not good shape sheep units in Alaska right now. Is that right? Just some bad string of bad winters. But you're like yeah. the sixth person that I've talked to that had an unbelievably good sheep hunt in the Brooks Range yeah, this year. I don't know if I would say it was like unbelievably good. Right. Well, It was yeah, basically you- the opposite of like yours for weather and whatnot. It sucked for most of it, but it was it was fun. Did you see any end. other rams besides the one you killed? Yeah, I mean, I saw probably six legal rams. Did you really? Five or six, yeah. What the hell's wrong with that wow. sheep hunt? Um, we saw them all like two days before season, oh, okay. the day before season, yeah. And then like we found one in the middle that we ended up blowing a stock on. And then the one that I ended up killing at the end was with another legal ram. So, yeah, but we just had a bad string of weather. It was low uh, visibility. Yeah, yeah. For pretty much the first day was good, and we had a ram that we'd been watching the previous two days give us the slip, and thought, no worries, like we're right where their home is, like we're gonna just pick through here and find them. And then the next day, it was pretty much like zero zero on visibility and raining for, I think until like five six o'clock that night, and then the next day was a whole day in the tent. The day after that was most of the morning in the tent. We got to move a little bit, and it broke that afternoon. We ended up finding a, a ram that was super cool, but we just, like, the way that we had to go in on him, um, we couldn't see exactly. I didn't think anyways we could see exactly where they were bedded once we got around into the top and just took a lot of time to do that. It's just moving in that country is hard, as you know. Um, and they ended up going through a saddle underneath of us as we were trying to go through the saddle to them. So Mm -hmm. we basically passed each other. 
And I think we were like 200 yards from them, but it was so steep that you just couldn't see, you know, how those hills like have a lot of creases in them and they ended up busting out. So that was, and I told the guide, I was like, I've blown a lot of stocks. That one was the worst, yeah. I think, hurting one that I've ever had. But uh, yeah, then we spent the next, it was like the next three days in the tent. And it was Ooh. just snow. Oh, isn't that just the just, most frustrating thing on the planet, man? Oh, man. Yeah. Burned up a lot of in-reach battery on that on that deal. So, yeah, we, then we had it that, ended up breaking. We were doing that one time, sheep hunting, and I, no one brought a book, but my brother bought a, had thought to bring a book. And there was three of us, and he cut his book in thirds. <laughs> and since it was his book, he got to read front to back. I had to, like, start in the middle and then get my third later. So you had to read it, like, in <laughs> yeah. portions, you know? Oh, man. But, man, sitting in a tent is painful. It sucked. But it's, I mean, I don't know. I think we've done, what, three doll sheep hunts together, and I feel like that's been a part of every single mm. one. But every time it makes you mad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but you got to go in expecting it, you know? I mean, that's why you go for yeah. 10 days, because five of them you probably can't see anything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it, it got to a point where, like, even if you wanted to, you know, like the guy told me, he said, uh, I, I don't know, most, he said most of my clients, he's like, we would have left three days ago because it was just like. Like they would have got burned out. Yeah, they would have got mm. burned out. But where are you going to go? Like, you know, walk to the airstrip, but it's still, they can't come get you. Right. Yeah. So you're just going to like stare at wherever that is. And uh, yeah. Sit at the airstrip eating, eating freeze dry. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, three days. Yeah. So finally it was like, it was the eighth. No, it was the seventh day of the hunt. Uh, we woke up to snow, but everything was like clearing off and it was starting to get nicer. And made our way down the spine and we were starting to figure out our exit strategy because that, that was a Wednesday and we were getting picked up on a Friday morning from the airstrip. And we're still a ways away from the airstrip. And so we're on this ridge, like right up in the rocks with the sheep. Our guide finds four rams across the valley on another mountain. And he's like, I think we can, he's like, I don't know if we can get there and back to the airstrip, but that's kind of our only option. So he's like, it's up to you. Like, I think we can get there and get this all done, but, or at least get close to them. Or we can stay up here and keep picking around trying to find sheep. But he's like, either way, we have to be at the airstrip Friday morning. So at eight o'clock. So you like figure out, you know, kind of what you think we should do. And I'm like, I would rather go after those sheep. And all of our eggs were going to be in that basket too. Like it was a little bit lower on the mountain. Um, they, were, they were probably the only sheep in that little, that mountain that we could see. So I was like, I'd rather go over there and screw it up mm -hmm. and not get one then sit up here and wish we would have went. So he's like, F it, we're going. And it was like, we left there at five o'clock, had to go through the brush line and then back up through the brush line and all that. And we got, we were a thousand yards from the sheep at 1 a.m. And they were still bedded where we left them the last time we saw them. So that was nice. And uh, so we threw out sleeping bags on a really steep hillside and just tried not to freeze to death. And it, it was light enough that we could start like kind of moving and you could really tell which ram was which at like 4.30 in the morning. This Thursday. This Thursday morning. Yeah. yeah. So we watched him for quite a while and it, and it was like 
Of course, the coldest night that we had was when we just threw sleeping bags on the ground and like didn't have anything. It's like when the storm breaks and it's really clear yeah. outside and nice. Yeah. It was cold. Super cold. And uh, so we watched him for a while. They ended up bedding out on this like rock cliff thing. We weren't going to be able to make the approach we wanted, but it was kind of getting down to crunch time. Like we need to move and do something. So we came up with this, uh, we came up with this plan, moved in. Um, and then our, we had a, our packer, we left back and he was supposed to be giving us hand signals mm-hmm. and we never could see him, but it turns out he could never see the sheep either. So that I guess all worked out. Um, but we moved in and knew. What do you think was going like through about... his head? <laughs> like, <laughs> do I just. <laughs> Doing good. Yeah. Yeah. That's tough. I don't know. Um, but yeah, we just had like pretty a couple pretty defined like rock outcroppings that we were pretty sure we could get to and be like 200 yards from the ramps or so. But we could never see them the whole way over. So we were just hoping that they were going to be there and we like snuck through and all those rocks are like, you know how they are, just that they don't have a home. They're like yeah. always you know rolling, making a lot of noise. So we just tried to be as quiet as we could and I remember it was like this big rock slab that had a crack through the middle of it. And the crack was probably like two foot wide. And the guide poked his head through. And I remember being like, he didn't have any, he didn't, you know, I expected him to see him really fast and he didn't move. And I'm like, oh, they're gone. Like they backdoored us or whatever. Like they're out of here. And about that time he put his head down and he said, oh shit, hundred yards. And I was like, all right, we're close. And, and, uh, they were just, (laughs) they were just moving out. And so it was four rams pretty much in a row, uh, in a line. And they were just like moving across the rocks and it took the guide a little while to figure out like which one there was two legal rams. Um, the one that I really liked and the one he thought was the oldest, his lamb tips really flared. And Mm -hmm. that was obviously, you know, that's, that's super cool. So he finally told me which one he was. And then he was just, Calling out, I remember he was calling out ranges. He would just be like 180, 200, 210, 220. And I'm thinking like that little fold that they were in was not really that big. I'm like, if they stay away, like pointed directly away from me the whole time, like I'm going to not going to get a shot. Like we're going to get this close. I'm not going to get a shot at him. And about that time it was like 220, I think was the first shot. He just kicked a little bit uh, quartering away and I put it like right in the last rib and came out his armpit and then he was that was my sheep great man it was cool it was super cool what are you gonna do with that it's gonna be a full body for really? the auction house of oddities she's <laughs> 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 yeah. like I ain't donating that I don't know about that we're kicking a dog here yeah have you, ever, have you ever had Chester, a, we'll bring you a dog's ear. Rocky Mountain Bighorn sheep fighting a doll sheep <laughs> full body mount you could yeah uh, that's like a dream hunt, man. Just, just awesome, be able man. to knock it out on the last day like yeah. that and have the whole adventure. Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, yeah. that's really how everybody wants their hunt to like play out. There's just not in in hindsight they in do. In hindsight they do. Not everybody, right. yeah. Cal. There's plenty of people I think that would say, you know, I'll kill them on day one. Mm-hmm. Blow the steam off my cup yeah. of coffee. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Jordan, if you do a if you do full body, how do you have to carry that animal out? You can't. You can't. Um, go, I mean, what do you do? 
immediately oh just a full body mount so we just skinned him like uh we just took all the hide instead of Uh, only doing like you know like a half like for a shoulder um we took the whole took the whole you skinned him in the field and Mm, then yeah okay get it yeah we packed him out and we got back to the airstrip at 3 (laughs) a.m Really? Friday morning wow. before we left. Catch a little five-hour nap, plane lands? Yep. Oh, it was God. pretty, really? it was no pretty kidding, tight. Man. Yeah. Down to the old wow. buzzer. Yeah. And then the plane, like, of course, the first, like, really nice day was probably the day I shot him, but the next nice day was, like, at least the plane could come in. Uh, the other option was we were going to have to walk to the river, which was, like, gosh, I don't know. It was probably, like, another eight miles from where we were, and then I guess hope that the clouds would be high enough there that mm-hmm. they that they could get in but yeah it was nice they they got in the the guy landed at like seven in the morning and uh he had brought the packer and the guide like a bunch more supplies because they had somebody rolling in like a couple days later yeah. so they were just gonna stay up there and he brought him a half case of beer and when he took off and took my camera guy back um me and the guy just like cracked a beer and looked at whatever it was and i was like yeah, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> but it was kind of miserable in the moment. Oh, that's great. Mm-hmm. Were you pretty beat up afterward? Your feet and everything? Or are you, are you pretty yeah. used to that? Like, I was I was pretty good, but that... No, I shouldn't say I was pretty good. Yeah, that, it beat the hell out of me. That one Did you did, lose a bunch of weight? Just those last couple. I don't think I lost a bunch of weight, but we weighed my pack when we got back from the pack out. And there was, like, some other guys that I went with, and we all kind of got back at the same time. They were weighing their packs, and my camera guy's like, you better weigh it, like, just to just to see. And I'm like, I bet it was, like, 80 pounds. Like, it's it was heavy, but it was, like, whatever I made it. It was 102. Hmm. And I was like, yeah, no wonder. And my I couldn't feel my toes for, like, a week and a half. 102 pounds. Yeah. I don't ever want to do it again, Steve. <laughs> oh, hold on, carry a hundred. Not then I carry a hundred. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just carry that much. That's smart. Yeah. That's a PSA for yeah. everybody because I just hung out with my buddy in Colorado who did not get to join me at all on my sheep hunt, and one of the big reasons is because he's battling bulge discs that are most oh, likely no. from yeah you know years of packing a lot of meat. So kids, Jordan just did it. She made it out alive. But man, don't overpack your back and. Uh. Battle that for the rest of your life. Yeah. Doesn't kill you to go back for a second trip. But so are you? Uh, are you addicted and you trying to uh, like work any every single angle you can to get back up there for another one? Yeah, I don't know. We'll have to see like how the doll sheep one goes. But uh, I'm gonna start putting in for bighorn a little more seriously now. And yeah, I'm not sure where my sheep hunting. We'll uh, we'll go now. If people want to go check us. out, how do people go find the video? You know the, the video you guys made. So that is going to be, I think that's going to be out in January, and that will be like a first light, uh, Sig Sauer, kind of combo. Great deal there. So, yeah, first light sent the videographer, which was it was his first mountain trip ever. Oh really? Yeah. They send you the seasoned pros, huh? <laughs> Couldn't find any. No. Yeah, you got to book him well short. in advance yeah, these days. Yeah, it was kind of short. It was kind of short notice, but uh, he did fantastic and didn't complain and probably kept me in better spirits. So, so they can find the video cool. through Sig Sauer and First Light. Yep, yeah, that it probably won't be done till like January. Yeah. I'm guessing. And but, then, um, what where someone wants to come book uh, book a deer hunt with you? Ooh, so uh, runningwaterhunting.com is the website. You can kind of get the full rundown there, and then just really through my Instagram at Jordan Bud. 
And what's the Craigslist ad heading for the most part? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've moved away from Craigslist. Moved totally away from Craigslist. Yeah, I have. I think that's probably the smart smart thing. Uh, spell out the Instagram deal because you got like a little underscore or some shit in there, don't you? Oh, oh, I do just... have a dot. Jordan.bud. Yeah. Yeah. Where people will find you. Yeah, they should, hopefully. And then they hopefully go book. To. And then you guys book turkey trips. Book turkey trips. 2022 is pretty full already. Really? Yeah. What it, kind of turkeys people you got are there? really uh, purebred Miriams. Okay. So that's Like nice. native Miriams? Or? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, not the hybrids. We're out of the hybrid zone, so. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Super white tips. What do you like? What do you like better? The guide in turkey hunts or guide in deer hunts? Oh, deer hunts for sure. Not a big turkey person. No? No. That's stupid. (laughs) (laughs) You don't like squirrels? You don't like turkeys? I never said I didn't like squirrels. I just haven't uh, dove into squirrels. Man, I'm going to come out and hit them squirrels and turkeys. (laughs) Do you like hunting your whitetails on the ground more than in a tree? Or how do you define yourself as a whitetail hunter? Uh, archery wise, like from a tree is nice. I think, um, we can hunt them on the ground where we're at. It's just, we're hunting them a lot, like coming from, uh, bedding to like their food source and vice versa. And yeah. a lot of that is through open, pretty open country, like open rolly. It's really hard to do, but it's doable to get, to get close to them when they're, when they're doing that. So like muzzleloader and rifle, like absolutely. That's the way I'd like to do it. Um, like we blind hunt for muzzleloader and we can for rifle. Honestly, we haven't really had to for rifle because we usually fill like on the first day or two. Um, but for muzzleloader, like I really prefer to be on the ground, but we'll put you in a blind if it's applicable. Um, and I think it is. It's like a very, very effective way, especially with, uh, you know, a lot of our clients are coming from back east. They haven't really stocked anything before. Mm-hmm. So it's all really like new and that like ambush style of stalking is really fast paced and it's trying to get out ahead of stuff and yeah yeah, too much sometimes so do you have uh do you do you know about deer that at the end of the year even though you got all those clients at the end of the year the deer gives you the slip like you never find it or do you Um, usually if it's out there you're going to find it usually if it's out there we're going to find it but like that deer that tanya avery shot that you were talking about a few years ago i found him i had one trail camera picture of him and then after I got the trail camera picture, I went in to try to, to glass him and he popped out of a cornfield and was walking along it. So I saw him, that was like mid August and we didn't see that deer again until we killed him December 2nd. Oh, okay. So yeah. there's a little mystery out there for you Yeah. Still. Yeah, for sure. They definitely like those big ones, especially like they know how to, they know how to slip around, especially like right in the middle of season, it seems like. Later season in December when everything's really coming into the fields and it's like a major food source, it seems like they, we get a lot of bucks show up at that time of year and a lot of new deer that I've never seen before, hmm. which is kind of okay. cool. So, But you guys also get some pretty good, like still get some rut activity early December, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, we do. Yeah. That can be a really good time um, for that rut activity. And then like, you know, Nebraska's rifle season runs right in the middle of rut, of the rut, pretty much that third week in November. So, yeah, we can, uh, yeah, we can hunt the, the rut a lot. I mean, it's pretty much September, September 1st through December 31st, you can be hunting deer in Nebraska. Man, I think you're going to book up, I think you're going to book up some trips, man, off the show. I hope so. It's really fun. 
I'm telling you, like the the hunt's fun. Like we see a lot of deer usually. Um, and you'll like you'll like cook them a burger or something. Yeah, I'll cook you a burger. The crock pot is my friend. Like, <laughs> Make a little chili. What's the yeah. Jordan Bun specialty where you're like 100% on Tuesday night, you're going to like dinner because I'm cooking my... uh Pulled pork, I would say. Okay. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not bad. Mm-hmm. She'll throw in a free pulled pork sandwich. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you book a trip now. Yep. I think you're going to book some exactly. trips up. I hope so, man. Yeah. It'd be a. When people come out, you help them, you get all their meat packaged up or to get it all set so they can bring it home with a processor or whatever. Yeah. So, last in the previous years, we haven't had a processor around. So, we usually just help them like quarter it and get it ready however they can get it home with them. Got whether it. that's like mostly it's just like we try to debone it and do like all the things for CWD and, and whatnot. Um, but we just put it in a cooler and they check it on the plane with them. Got it. Or yeah, we've fro like got it frozen completely solid before and shipped it. Yep. Um, do things like and that. If they want to do something with their head that you uh, they bring it home, or you you have like a person you bring it to. So a lot of people have just been like, do they like doing the Euro mounts? Yep. That's been really popular. So I've got a buddy I went to high school. I call school them Freedom with. Mounts. The Freedom Mounts. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Remember how they had to rebrand French fries during the Iraq invasion? <laughs> no. Oh yeah. Freedom yeah. fries. Yeah. France wouldn't get on board with the Iraq invasion, so they rebranded French fries as Freedom Fries. No we really, I don't like calling them Euro Mounts. We really taught them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, that changed their tune. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, I, don't like calling them, I don't like calling them Euro Mounts. I like that. Yeah, Freedom, freedom Mounts. Freedom yeah. Mounts. So if you'd like a Freedom Mount, <laughs> I, uh, I've got a buddy I went to high school with that's in town that does a bunch of them and then he'll he'll get them done and ship them to you so then we don't have to like worry about the brain matter and all that Got stuff it. it can be kind of really easy like a painless deal for the getting everything back to them so. great book a hunt with jordan bud man yeah that would be awesome she doesn't overbook the place no it's good hunting get you all squared away it's fun yeah you're not yeah. mean to him no no not most of the time she hesitated she might be a little mean to you <laughs> she's like oh <laughs> If you move too much, <laughs> she might be a little mean. I don't know. And and it, it, tell tell everybody again where they can go find you. Uh, probably Instagram is the best place at Jordan.bud. Okay. On the Instagram, and uh, I think that's it. Runningwaterproductions.com is my media business. And tell the outfitter business again. Runningwaterhunting.com. Right. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, man. I hope you get some business. Let's I go, hope, people. I hope so too. All right. Thanks, everybody. This show is sponsored in part by BetterHelp. It is a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that they need and that meets them where they are and helps them get through challenges. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible. It's simple to use. You can connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com.
Hey, if you follow wildlife news at all, you're probably aware that the island of Maui has an incredible abundance of Axis deer, so much so that they're causing ecological damage. Well, Maui Nui venison is thinning out some of those Axis deer herds and delivering venison sticks and fresh cuts to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com. Use promo code MEATEATER for 20% off your order. 